Are you a brew head? I'm a brew head. Are you a brew head? I'm a brew head. Y'all a brew heads? Yeah, we brew heads. So pour a glass of craft beer. We can do this. Yeah. What's good, y'all? This is C-Certified Brewhead, and welcome to episode 137 of Beer Another Shit Podcast, our junk series. Ladies and gentlemen, we have a banger. We are heading back south of the border to uh, one of my favorite places on the planet, Florida, for um, a fantastic chat with a gentleman. If you have been watching and listening to BOS for some time, you would uh, know his face and his story by now. Um yeah it's 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 super cool uh you know this is someone that we've really got to know over the last couple of years particularly uh this year and uh it was exciting to actually meet in person and to check out the brewery and now we're sort of gonna catch back up with uh you know a little more context as far as you know now i've been there we can talk you know in in a different way than we have in the past so uh i'm excited for this one guys please welcome kevin of barrel of monks in the building So there's that many people there. I didn't realize you had yeah. an actual audience <laughs> just behind the camera. I, you know, <laughs> I keep him here for the special pods, you know, so every time I talk to you, you become more and more popular. It's amazing. <laughs> well, I think it's really you here. This is not about me. This is the guests. They come for the guests. I'm here all the time. Fair. I'm boring. You know, Fair I wore enough. the Miami shirt for you for the, I, were you disappointed about the heat? You know, or do you I... not care? I am a Detroit guy. My oh, all my sports okay. loyalty is to Detroit sports. I, I as, as a secondary thing, I do I do support. But honestly, I'm I'm a big baseball fan, and okay. I don't follow basketball, football, hockey as much as I used to. Just not enough time. So just I follow it on the on the periphery. Yes, I, uh, I I it's 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 always sad when your you know your home state gets that close and and can't close the deal out. It was, uh, I'm with you. I'm obviously a Toronto fan for everything where possible. And Miami was my now new second. I was, you know, it's easy for me to like, cause I guess you're American already. You were born there. So it's easy to have an allegiance. Everything else for me is kind of like, which jersey do I like or some bullshit, you know, like everyone went for Chicago Bulls in the nineties type of thing. But it's now it's like, all right, when I'm going to Miami, I knew it was going to be good. So I bought a jersey before I went, we went to a game. So I was, I'm not a sports guy, same as you. I couldn't be fucked, man. There's too much, uh, <laughs> we got too many other things to do to be following all sports and stuff, but I like play basketball my whole life. So I was actually like following uh, this. I was pretty disappointed. But at the same token, if someone's going to beat them uh, and it's a team that hadn't won a championship ever, I don't know. That's a cool story. So you can't be too mad. It is. And honestly, a lot of what I say, I don't have enough time. When I was a sports fan, I was a sports fan that read every single publication. I'm an all or nothing guy, whether it's beer or wine or baseball or stand up comedy, whatever it is. If I'm going to be into it, I am going to be into it. And just the fact that I had to step, step back a little bit and I'm no longer following the draft. Well, then just I'm slowly going to have less and less interest as time goes by. If you want to talk to me about the, the, the NBA from the mid to late nineties, I could give you statistics. I mean, <laughs> that, that, that was my, that was my jam. So you were a Pistons fan in the nineties. Oh yeah, I mean, I, oh, I grew see. up a Pistons fan. I, I was there for the the back to back championships um, wow. in the eighties, uh, and uh, yeah, then then the resurgence in the early two thousands with Joe Dumars was the president of basketball operations and the Ben Wallace teams and Rip Hamilton and those kind of guys. So I was still following following then, but it's also then hard to when your teams are not good. 
it's another reason <laughs> to, to not, you know, follow as like I, I haven't been a Detroit Lions fan in a very, very long time since Barry Sanders was playing. And I know that they had a good season this last season and they, they're one of the up and coming teams in the NFL. But huh. it, it's easy when your team stinks to, to yeah. spend a, pay a little less attention to them. Could not agree more. Who, who's the baseball team from Detroit? Is that the Tigers? Tigers. Tigers. Okay. I've been to the, there's like a, the Detroit brewery or whatever they were called is like required across the street from that stadium. Mm -hmm. Do you know, is that what it's called? Detroit? I went there like I, 10 plus years ago. I forget what the name of it is, but yeah, it's, I, Classic I, uh, and stuff. yeah, I, I, there's, there's several of them down there. I don't know. And the thing is, I also okay. moved away from Detroit when I was 21. So I didn't, oh, so I got into the craft beer scene down here in Florida. So I know Bells, I know Founders, I know all those guys up there. I love so many beers from from breweries in the Michigan area, but I was not a big craft beer fan when I left because I just started. I was still drinking like Killian's Irish Red and thinking I was a badass when I was <laughs> you know I left Michigan. Uh, basically, I was the same sort of thing. Yeah, you got to do it. I, well, I mean, look, you got to be proud though. Michigan's come a long way. I feel like I feel like even they were um, holdouts even back in. 2017 i feel like there was just really traditionalist but i feel like now like there's some phenomenal stuff of uh of every style i feel like every time i got friends from detroit come up they'll bring some shit it's uh extremely impressive it's very good oh yeah i'm making great beer have you done any collabs with detroit breweries or michigan breweries no i don't really have any connections yeah, that's I the thing that I, I you know and that's the thing moving when i did and being i was just working i was just waiting tables when i moved out so i, I mean i really and i was barely an adult right people say oh you're from michigan well okay so i left michigan when i was 21. Mm -hmm. what officially an adult for three years mm, okay yeah. uh, emotionally not an adult yet i didn't get there till i was 30. so <laughs> i spent <laughs> i've spent now 21 years in Florida in three adult years in Michigan. I, I, it's a, you know, you even, even though that's my hometown, there. I love the sports, I, I, I love going home. I'm really a Floridian at the end of the day because of how long I've been here and how much of my formative years, you know, mm. or my past my formative years I spent here. That's a really great point when you put it like that. When you do go back, have you been able to sort of like dabble and see what's going on with, uh, with the scene up there or is it sort of like family visits and in and out? I really, I really don't like to do a lot of beer stuff when I'm in town for two reasons. One, I want to spend time with family. And two, like being the beer guy, everyone thinks they have to take me to beer places. And I want to go to places that people want to go, right? Like I don't want right. people to go, well, Kevin's in town, so you got to take him to seven breweries. So <laughs> I, I've, I've, since I've moved and since I've gotten to beer, I've had a chance to visit uh, Founders, Bell's, I've had a chance to visit Dark Horse, which is a brewery I absolutely yes, love. Sick. I love Dark Horse, and I've loved Dark Horse for almost 15 years. Uh, um, New Holland I've mm. been to, which I absolutely love. And then there's a couple breweries in my hometown around St. Clair Shores, Michigan, just outside of Detroit that I've been to. And then anytime I go, what I really focus on when I go back home is just going to the best beer spot I can find and just buy stuff. You know, buy some beer from shorts, buy some beers from from people I just haven't seen before. And then that way I try the beers that are not available down there. I don't visit the brewery necessarily, but I do get a chance to kind of check everything out. That's dope. I feel you. I definitely know what you mean. Sometimes you're, uh, I kind of like that though. If you're the beer guy and you're all people like, oh, we have to take him to the, I'm like, fucking let's go. <laughs> Here for it. Maybe you do. Do you know what's different for you though? Like I don't live and breathe it like you are in a brewery every day like i can imagine it would be like you really want me to go to a place that looks just like my work i'm on vacation to see my parents yeah yeah so so, so let me tell you this if i visited your hometown 
Mm-hmm. Nothing would make me happy because you were passionate about beer. I want you to, and you were free, and you know, I'm not going to force myself on you. I promise. I'm a, I'm a gentleman like that. Of course, but of course. <laughs> if, if if you were if you were game, I'd love for you to take me around, right? Gotcha. Because you're passionate about it. I want to go to the spots you really, really dig. It's mm. different than just going. Well, what's the brewery down mm. the street, or, or what's that? This because then. I like the conversation with somebody else who's passionate and knowledgeable. Like I, I visited Chicago and did a collaboration with a beer, a brewery called Church Street, which I absolutely love. They make some incredible lagers. They're just, they're just across the board wonderful. They don't make a lot of wild, crazy stuff, at least not stuff I've tried. We, and very love that brewery. Well, there's a gentleman named Phil Clark who runs uh, a beer podcast called the Britain Yankee Pubcast. And Phil's a buddy of mine. I just actually did a video with him and he's been on, you know, we drink podcast and I've been on his show a bunch of times. Well, Phil took me around like I was like a long lost family member and took me from brewery to brewery showing me his favorite spots. And that's just like passion. That's just like sharing love. You know, that's just someone going like, this is where I want to be and I want you to experience it. That's joy. I love that aspect of it. I like that. When you put it like that, yeah, I totally get it. And uh, I was, uh, when, I don't know if we hit, you and I, I was on your podcast with uh, your co-host Mike called United We Drink and we spoke about it there, but we haven't talked about it here. But um, I, you and I just missed each other. You came to Toronto the weekend <laughs> that we left uh, to drive down to Florida. And uh, you didn't have time to do anything anyway. Um, you had a busy time, but uh, yeah, that would have been dope to show you around it's not too far from here could have taken you to a few places and brought you some stuff and really you know got to show you but you know it's i know what you mean though it's uh a different kind of um different kind of situation but um i feel like we keep we we can do, i know it's going to be a, a great part we just yapping already we've been 10 minutes we haven't even cracked the beer yet <laughs> <laughs> That's how it. good this is getting. So we're doing some interesting ones. So you really curated a fantastic lineup tonight. So obviously people who know if you've seen the first episode, Barrel of Monks, a, um, a Belgian-oriented brewery based out of Boca Raton, Florida. Beautiful place. Um, but we're going to start with a couple IPAs. And I'm very excited about this one. This first one here I had on tap with you at the brewery when I came down and visited, which we'll talk about. Um, come on. There we go. And this is called Waypoint IPA. Uh, And this was extremely impressive. I was like, uh, this is something sort of we were just talking about off air that, uh, you know, perhaps that people don't think of Barrel of Monks being that, you know, the name, the the reputation uh, as being a Belgian brewery has the chops to do something like this. Um, Yeah, man, tell, tell us about the beer while I sort of pour it up and take some photos. Well, as you said, Barrel Amongst Brewing, we are a Belgian-inspired brewery. For years and years, we did not make anything without a Belgian yeast strain. We did not make anything without European noble hops. We did not make anything without European malt. And we kind of hung our hats. We said, we're going to try to do this and be the best at it that we possibly can. And uh, even I, I, I actually, I, I did not come up with it. My, my head brewer at the time came up with it. We actually had a T-shirt at one time that said it was the Back to the Future font. And on the back, it said IPAs. Where we're going, we don't need IPAs. <laughs> so we That's we awesome. had our we had our flag pretty well planted in the fact that we didn't do these kind of beers, and we had somebody. And there's a couple reasons here. We made some Belgian pale ales that utilized some American hops and tried to balance things out and do something interesting, but. I wasn't confident using Belgian yeast that I could make a great IPA because a lot of, especially old school sea hops, would get 
very medicinal when you use Belgian yeast strains. And now right. that we have so much more opportunity with all these tropical hops, we wanted to kind of revisit it. And just around the time that we were thinking about it, we hired Ralph Renault, who ends up now is our head brewer. But at the time, he started in the cellar and as an assistant brewer. And he's just a hop head. He's uh He's a fanatic. He's the kind of guy that will stay up all night just dissecting uh, data on hops and the utilization. And he's the one that brought in these stylized yeast strains when they were brand new and just out from Omega Yeast. And really looking at utilization and the, and the way we can make these beers uh, our way and also how we can tick all these boxes without uh, blowing up and having to do three, four pounds of barrel per dry hop. So uh, this this was the beer that we we did a bunch of IPAs as one-offs. When we talked about doing one as like a permanent fixture, this is what we came up with. And it is a, uh, you know, New England inspired. It's a little hazy, big tropical aroma, oh, big yeah. tropical fruit flavor, low bitterness. I mean, smooth as silk uh, from my perspective. And I'm not biased at all, I promise. <laughs> Cheers, brother. Cheers to you. Um, Delicious. I mean, the tasting notes actually nail it here. Um, tangerine, lemon, kiwi, and white grape. And it's very accurate. And this is a very unique IPA, but it works so well. The It's so tropical. The The nose is almost like a, um, like a Sav Blanc or something. Like that white grape is so strong. You One of the things out? I love about... But the, one of the things I love about this beer is what we tasked Ralph with is I said, listen, and, and we have to make a great flavorful IPA that doesn't completely break the budget because I need to be able to put it on a store shelf. And a lot of times that's really tough to do. And you see some of the big, big IPA breweries, mm. they're not going to have a shelf stable, you know, beer that they can sell for 14, 13 bucks, a six pack in glass. And that's when he brought in the thialized yeast strain. I mean, Two of the main hops in here are Centennial and Chinook. Mm. I mean, these are classic California sea hops, and we're getting tropical fruit out of these hops that typically give you citrus and pine resin, you know? Uh, so I think it was the the skill of our brewer and the dedication to trying to do something. And by the way, the hops are fantastic. We're getting from a, from a Michigan uh, hop producer, Hangamai Hops, and they're awesome. The, and, he, and Ralph tells me that this Centennial is the best Centennial he's ever had in his life. Oh, yeah. Uh, so uh, so there's, there's a lot of on the brewing side, there's so much thought that went into this, and there was so many parameters that we had to meet to make a commercial IPA in our situation where we don't have, we can't buy in bulk, and we're not getting economies of scale. And every time I drink this beer, I realize how much work and how much effort had to go into it to make this beer as good as it is. Hell yeah, man! It's um, it's genuinely fantastic. Now you mentioned the thiol thiolized yeast. That is what is used in this one. Yes. Okay, I can definitely taste that for sure. I know. So do you think or do you know for sure that the the yeast is bringing out those tropical fruit flavors from yes. the okay, – wow. That's yes. pretty crazy. I feel like that's no. uh, either – like you have, must have been one of the first few people to maybe figure that out or play with it. I haven't seen that replicated at all or heard anyone really talk about it. So a lot of people are using thialized yeast. And, and by the way, I am going to be out of my depth in about 30 seconds when it comes to talking about some of this stuff. Because while I was a deep. brewer, <laughs> while yeah. I was a brewer once upon a time, I, I'm not in on that, right? I do operations. I trust the brewing operations to the people that really know their stuff and allow them to do their job, right? So I've downloaded that part of my brain. Somebody else can take care of that. So 
But from what I understand, you know, this stylized yeast, when we first started using it well over a year ago, had only been on the market about three months when mm. Ralph first did his first batch of it. And uh, now, I mean, tons of people are doing it. I, I even Lazy Dog Beer Club, they just did a thylized New England or a New Zealand style pale ale. So mm. you're seeing it more and more out there, but it mm. really takes. If you use a thialized yeast and you do the exact kind of beer you would have done with a Chico strain or just a regular American IPA strain, you're not going to make a, a great, great beer because you're not taking advantage of what the thialized yeast does for you. It's right. all about when you add the hops, it's mash hopping, it's, it's, it's stuff, once again, that I'm out of my depth on, but the... You can use a lot less hops, but use them in a smart way. And as long as you have these right precursors, you can bring out all these flavors that those hops don't traditionally get in any other yeast strain. So every time we're doing this, we're trying to balance those things out. And by we, I mean Ralph. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, you and Ralph. I get it. I get it. No, it's, this is this is great, man. I mean, like, it's just so many – It's it's got this sort of body of a New England, and it's like it's like – all the the tropical, you know, like a lot of like uh, citrus pith, some guava in there, um, like the tasting notes, like the kiwi was such an interesting one, and I definitely can can catch that. But there's like a, and I imagine from the Centennial and Cascade as well, like a touch of like this herbal kind of grassiness on, uh, in the in the back end, which is great. It's just like a really unique IPA, and I kind of feel like that's like if you went and did like a you know, super bright, straight up and down, uh, you know, tropical juice bomb, which this isn't actually too far away from that, but you know what I'm talking about? Like the straight mm -hmm. up New England stuff that you guys don't do, it would almost be odd, but I feel like that you've created something that's like on brand for the brewery and unique that it stands out, but it would also, you know, appeal to the people who are lining up for Haze in that way. It's, um, yeah, it's, it's great, bro. And we're hoping for it. Honestly, this is one of the big issues is because we planted our flag so uh, so much in the opposite direction for so long. I think a lot of people just kind of wrote us off. You know, we don't make the kind of beers that they like to, to drink. And I am emboldened by the fact that when other brewers come in and people like yourself that are passionate in the scene and they're trying the beers, I think with fresh eyes going, I'm just going to drink this beer on merit and see what I think about it. We're getting incredible reactions. I mean, brewers mm. are trying this beer and going, what did you do to do this? You know, yeah. Ralph's talking with lab technicians for bre giant breweries in the state and giving them information and having great conversations back and forth. Hmm. But we're not getting the reception from the regular customer base as much as we'd like to see. And I think okay. a lot of that just has to be about perception. I mean, I'm confident in the liquid and I've gotten enough what I think is honest feedback to believe that it's not all blowing smoke mm -hmm. uh, because we always get more positive feedback than negative, right? Because that's just the nature of that kind of echo chamber that you live in. But I think every time we do one of these, I feel like we're a little step closer for someone going, you know what, I'm going to give that a shot hmm. and, and see what I think about it myself. And, oh, wow, they're really doing something special. When you say regular customer base, are you referring to the standard, uh, you know, the regular customers of Barrel of Monks who maybe go there for the Belgian beers? So it's a little bit of that. We are, when we introduced this beer as an IPN to our tap list, it was not received as well. And I just mean by like, by pours, right? It was like the fifth volume. or sixth okay. volume beer mover, right? Now, after six months of being a static draft, it's always number two or number three. So what do you think changed just presence and just I, people being keep seeing it and be like, oh, fuck it, I'll give it a crack? 
I think there's two things. One, I think that our typical customer is is more and more open to something that they think they didn't like in the first place, and they've given it a, sh- in a shot. But also, as we attract new customers, and, and our, our sales are up significantly from year over year, so we're getting a lot of new people in every day. And what do they ask for the first beer they walk in? An IPA. So I think we're getting a lot of that. When I'm talking about the customer base, our customer base is always going to love Belgians. We're always going to get the casual drinker that comes in and they come in once a month. They come in as a, they're out of towners or what have you, and they're going to drink beer. I'm really referring to kind of fanatical beer fans from the area. Right. You know, the, the, the people that are chasing the new beers from, from other really popular breweries. And, and that, those are the people that I think honestly have written us off a long time ago is that we're not, we're not their kind of brewery. And that's fair. I mean, I, you cannot chase that customer base. Uh, you will never do well chasing that customer base right. if you don't already have that kind of reputation. And even the people that don't do have that reputation, it's a, it's a slippery slope because at some point you're not new and fresh and hip anymore. And you can see how new and fresh and hip I am because I'm using terms like new and fresh and hip. But (laughs) uh, you get to a point where you're not those people and then it gets really difficult. But I'd be be lying if I said that I didn't drink other competent, well-made, hazy IPAs in my state and go, man, this beer's just as good as any, any one of those. I'd, I'd put it up in a blind taste test any day of the week. And oh, yeah. I, I'd, I'd love to be in that conversation one day because I think that Ralph, our brewer, has earned that that opportunity. And I think that with our, you know, our distribution channels and things of that nature, we can get the beer out to a lot of people. Mm. When you say putting it up, like, would you say that uh, or be recognized by those folks and i totally know what you mean about like what happens when you're not the new flavor of the month type of thing and that's the downside of being that sort of hype world brewery would you are you referring to this beer specifically or are you saying that you guys could as as almost what i gathered from that was like yes this beer you could put it up against it but you're also what i took was like you could make a beer exactly like in that exact style whilst i feel like this is more unique than what I experienced, at least in Florida, um, in in a great way though. Like it's like it, it's a total. It, you drink it alongside it, and it's not out of place. And it's like, oh wow, this is like like you said, this is as good and as and more unique in the sense because there's different things going on. Like every other one, oh, oh mango trap, mango pineapple. Oh, this is passion fruit guava. Well, oh, you know, it's the same kind of re- repetition of of fruit flavors. Would you do one of those like fucking murky like? You know, is that what you're saying? Or not quite? I don't think I don't think it's quite that. I think what I'm looking more towards is that even like the regular beers from let's say like a brewery like Civil Society that mm-hmm. gets pl- tons of press and hype and for a good reason. I mean, they make they are they put hazies on the map in a lot of ways in, in South Florida and there's a reason why they do so well and they have such a good reputation. I you look at a beer like Fresh and that is their standard bear IPA. Mm-hmm. I don't know if people are still lining up when they release fresh. I mean, I see it at Total Wine and more. So I don't think that's necessarily the case anymore. But they have a reputation of being a great hazy brewery. So they do really, really well with that sect, even with their commercial beer. Mm. That's what I'm looking. And I'm hoping that eventually we'll get that kind of reputation for making great IPAs so that when we put something out, people just want to try it. Oh, they've got a new one out. We know that they're quality for that style. And we'll go to that. When it comes to something like those, like just juice bombs, you know, 
I have said never so many times in my life and had to eat so much crow <laughs> that I'm not going to do that again. I Fair. do believe, I do believe that you a brewery should in some ways represent the personality and the passion of the owners or the decision makers. It doesn't mean everything should be exactly what I want, but it means that the direction and the focus of what we're doing should have some direction and focus. So we did a pastry stout, like a straight up 12% sweet, what I would call under attenuated pastry stout with coconut and vanilla and cocoa nibs and lactose and all those kind of things. I think it was in my mind, one of the best representations of that style because it was not unfermented wort. It was a little under attenuated, but it was flavorful. It was sweet. It ticked all the boxes. It will never be if you lined up, you know, the 20 best pastry stouts in the world, it's never going to be in that the pick number one because it's not what those things were. But we did enough of those things that I was really proud of it, really proud of my brewers for pulling it off. And I think that the people that like those kind of things could listen, drink it and go, yeah, I respect that. That was gotcha. my time. I want to stay in those kind of peripheries because I, one, have to sleep at night. <laughs> and two, <laughs> and two, I also don't want to be... We're not that. We're not a beer geek brewery. brewery. We have to have an olive branch over to non-beer drinkers and get them to try our stuff. And we have to play in a different sandbox. I mean, I do chain restaurants. Waypoint IPA is in Flanagan's. Flanagan's is one of the chainiest chain restaurants in Florida. Right. I mean, it's like a bunch of crazy stuff on the walls. And they're extremely successful and they sell volume. I've got to sell Waypoint to that customer and I've got to get people excited in my tap room and eventually, I got to get people excited on the, on the store shelves, which I don't have it on there yet. So it's a little different than, than other styles of those super juicy fruit punch hazies, you know? Gotcha. So there's definitely going to be more IPAs that uh, Barrel Monks will be doing in the future then. Absolutely. Okay. Maybe we should do a collab when I'm back down next year. Maybe we do that. Maybe we do that uh, tropical fruit bomb. <laughs> Maybe we <laughs> Listen, do it. If you, if Maybe you, I'll I'll connect you with Ralph. If <laughs> if you can get that dude to get to get on board with something, there's something about Ralph. He got me hypnotized. I mean, I, I'll just uh, if if he's passionate about something, I want him to do it. I mean, we're we got him. We got him. This is not going to excite anybody in the world, but we have, we're doing a Mars in this year. Oh, one of my Mars favorite beer styles, dude. No, they're amazing. Hell yes, October. No one's shit. gonna yeah, no one's gonna line up for it. But I'm so happy we're doing a Marzen, right? We did an Imperial um, Pilsner that yes. you tried when you were down. Spectacular, it's with Savage Life. Man, I yeah, I freaking love doing those beers. And yeah. every time we try something classic, we go, hey, can we do something like this in our own way and make it right for us? And when we sit around and go, man, we're goddamn proud of this beer. It doesn't matter as long. I mean, listen, we're we're being successful. We're selling liquid. Uh, if, if we were, if we were three days away from closing the doors, I might be looking at things differently. But the mm. be, way, be, the reason that we're being successful is that we're we're true to kind of who we are and trying to make quality beer, and then worry about kind of some of the marketing things and everything else later. Mm. I like that a lot, man, because otherwise you're just a cookie cutter, just trend following. And I don't think those particular, the breweries that do that last too long. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's not, it, <clears throat> excuse me, it's not the move at all. I like, I just, I don't know, I always find that kind of what you just said before, where you said when Ralph does something that he's passionate about, it always turns out. And I've found that through interviewing, and I imagine you might have, because I know you've featured on and had a lot of people on your pod. 
like I found that the people that do that, that are true to themselves and this like, this breweries that just, I'd like, we make lagers and that's all we do and that's all we care about. And those lagers are some of the best lagers you ever taste. You guys do Belgians almost exclusively, not quite, but I, I really feel like you have made you personally and then visiting you now and having you on multiple times. And I'm, I feel like I've got like a, a newfound appreciation for Belgian beers. Like I'm before I felt like I might've dismissed it, but now I'm like, Oh nah, man, I had some fucking killer stuff with Kev. This is like, I'm down. I'm like more curious about it because the stuff I've had from Barrel of Monks is so on point that I'm like, well, even if it hasn't been your jam, you can try it and you can go, oh, this is great. And it, it makes you keep going. So have you noticed that as well, like across the board, as far as people you speak to that do what you're doing, end up just making better product? Passion is infectious. Mm. And when you are able to one-on-one, -on -one, and you're in a very unique situation, I'm in a very unique situation. We're in this industry, we're around this industry, we're passionate about it, you're talking with brewers. I mean, we're different, right? the normal customer that's going to drink a beer and pull a, a six pack off of a grocery store shelf is never going to interact with me and they're never going to interact with you. And they're going to have a different perception because of marketing and the view and what's the six pack look like or the can or blah, 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 blah. But when you get a chance to sit down and listen to someone tell you why they did something the way they did it, it's very rare that I don't go, Oh man. Yeah. I get why you did that. Mm. Yeah. It wasn't my thing. And I don't really want more of it, but Man, I, I get what you're going for, and you nailed everything you were trying to do. And I, I, I get a newfound respect for people when it mm. comes to that. Now, as far as specialization, I think specialization means the world. Uh, I think you should try to get really good at one thing, mm. and I think then you can branch out from that. If you look at Oddbreed Wild Ales, our sister brewery at Barrel of Monks, they do nothing but, but uh, mixed fermentation sours. Matt Manthe is the best best brewer in the state of Florida. Now, maybe Ralph is equal to him. I have to give him that now. But, you know, he's one of the best brewers in the state of Florida. He's one of the most talented person. If I want, if I wanted to make a Marzen or a Dortmunder or any other classic style you've never heard of, I go to Matt and I guarantee he hit out at the park the first time. And he doesn't even make that style of beer anymore because he focuses on his sours. Right. So there's talent and skill you learn in that avenue that you can then apply to the rest of the world around you. Mm. And I think that when you are passionate about it, I think somehow that radiates off. It's, it's, it's in the quality of the liquid. It's in the way you market and you talk about your brand. Uh, I'd like to think it's in the quality and I'd like to think that quality is important in some way. I know I always talk about the fact that like, no one cares about qualities. It's just whatever's the most popular, what's the most marketing. But I like to think that in some way, apples to apples, the better beer is going to win out in a, in a small sample size, whatever style you're talking about. I like to think like that too. It crosses everything in life. I always feel like it's, it's all about marketing and not a lot of quality gets to shine through. But I kind of just feel like if you just focus on quality, eventually it'll crack through because the marketing will only take you so far, it, you know. At the end of the day, if people you, know, you got something like Untapped, where people can just go in there and they'll shit on the beer if it's not good, even if it's hyped. Some people will just like it because it's hyped, but there'll be others that will be like, "Hang on a second, like the marketing got me, but this is not great," and they'll tell you as much. So, I feel like those not pretenders, but the things that maybe are hyped and not quality, or even the things that are quality and not hyped, hopefully should sort of bounce out over time. 
I would, if I had the time, and I will never have the time, I would love to do a real study on Untapped and do like, you know, a proper scientific double-blinded study with people reviewing beers that are, you know, that are already highly scored and would they more likely rate those beers higher because they're highly scored or do they want to tear them down because they're highly scored? And if they got that beer to store versus someone sent it to them, Mm. what does that do to a score? Yeah. Right. Because if someone sent it to you, well, man, this is special. Someone cared about this enough to send it to me. It must be better. Oh, if I pull it off a store shelf, maybe it's not as special. There's so much that goes into how these beers are perceived. Yeah. We could sit around with a beer and speculate 25 of those little things and we wouldn't be right. We wouldn't have found them all. It's very, very nuanced. Hmm. I hadn't thought about it like that. That's a really great point. I, I thought when you said sent it to them, it could the beer itself could be uh, damaged by travel because that can happen. Thing. You know, yeah. particularly for the more precious beers, the beers we're drinking tonight, not so much. But um, you know, you're sending some some haze or some smoothie sours or even pastries that are supposed to be kind of kept cold and drank fresh too. Like you know, they can rock up. They might not be the same beer that. Uh, uh, they were when they left so i mean so many of these uh, so especially smoothie sours that you that have all these unfermented sugars in there i mean that's why you got these can bombs that are sitting on store shelves uh especially with people that are doing like a lot of mobile canning and they're not controlling that process themselves a lot of that i think has been weeded out of the market but it's it's definitely yeah. still out there listen i put that box mm. in the mail to you to get these beers to you. I'm I, I'm worried that they don't taste as good to you right now because they got it took a week and they got hot and they got cold and you know whatnot and what you know. Anyway, there's a lot of things that go into this. Yeah, no, definitely. Um it's fascinating to, to chat about. I noticed you'll finish your beer. I'm gonna finish it like I you know always do finish them afterwards. Do you want to move on to the the next one? Mm-hmm. Um Let's I'm excited. It. I'm super excited for this one. By the way, waypoint in a bottle, uh very similar to what it was on draft. I felt like just I didn't say it before. I had this one on draft with you and I was like, this is fantastic. This it lived up to exactly how I felt about it when we had it. Um when I was there, so this would have been end of April um this year, came up, we hung out for a couple of hours, it was great. We drank a bunch of beer, got the tour, beautiful spot, which we'll get into. Um, you were telling me about this beer that you guys were doing this because we together did a uh, one of this cool thing that you do called um old um old favorite Fridays. Yep. Um where you know you bring people on or you do it yourself and you know you have people choose an old favorite beer and we go through it. So definitely check that out. It's on the Barrel of Monks YouTube. I shared it across uh, all of our stuff and on the Barrel of Monks Instagram. And um I chose Highlight from Cigar City because of the local beer. I thought, you know what? And I hadn't had Highlight um much. So I was super excited. So they would talk about West Coasts. And then you were telling me that you were doing a West Coast IPA collab. Um, so I'm extra stoked that when as soon as I saw it, when I, this was the first one, I unfortunately pulled out of the box. I was like, yes, this was the fucking one. Um, so I'm very excited about this one. This is a collab with a, a brewery that I heard of uh, just outside of Miami. I think it's in Doral, if I'm not mistaken, called Tank, um, that I didn't get around to getting there. But um, Neon Skyline, super sick uh, thing, um, label. And the, I, I imagine this is it named after the Miami Skyline because it was super neon and beautiful. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, actually, it was made for you. If you look at the room you're in right now, I right. believe that we were thinking about about your show. Yeah. I feel like my <laughs> shirt, my Miami shirt, uh, everything. <laughs> everything. I just really All feel like in. it's... Yeah, it really does. It, um, dude, this is, this is super sick. And I'm very excited because this is a West Coast um, IPA. 
if I'm not mistaken. Um, yes. Which is amazing because that is, you know, you and I were talking in detail and uh, this is my shit. I know you're super into it. Uh, I'm going to crack and do the photos and everything, but uh, mate, give us a spiel on this bad boy. So once again, I've, t- I've dropped Ralph's name 14 times now. So drink again. Shouts to Ralph. Yeah. But he would, he would hate me if I didn't mention the fact that he considers this and the guys of the tank a – a new West Coast IPA. Okay. And what he means by that is a little bit less bitterness, a little bit less dankness, a little bit of tropical fruit flavor, a little bit of the influence from the New England style, but still staying true of having that citrus. He he always says he picks up basil in this. You get a little bit of dank. You get a little bit of skunk. But it has plenty of fruit in there in the background to balance it out. Uh, the bitterness is going to be much, much higher than what yeah. you just got on, on Waypoint, which is almost non-existent. It's not a early 2000s IBU war West Coast IPA that's trying to obliterate your palate with bitterness, but it definitely is going to be more bitter than most of the IPAs that were that I'm drinking these days. But super flavorful, I mean, big aromatics, I mean, all the things we're talking about it with citrus and dank and basil and tropical fruit. Uh, the hops on this one, we actually used two proprietary hops from Hang'em High Hops in Michigan, mm-hmm. which were Bergamot and Hydra. Okay. And then the other ones were Citra, Cascade, and Chinook. Okay, so it's uh, it's it's rammed with um, Citra, Cascade, Chinook, a perfect, uh, you know, Pacific Northwest sea hops. Um, yeah. Oh, the nose is actually kind of similar to Waypoint. Am I tripping balls there? No, you're definitely. I mean, first of all, we use the same the same uh, yeast. Actually, I'm not sure if he used a different thialized yeast strain for this. I probably should know that. We did use a thialized yeast strain for it, which brings out a lot of that tropical fruit flavor and aroma. Uh, But it's uh, it's got a lot of that going on, but a little more of that grassy, herby nature in the nose, and then a little more of a bite on the on the finish. Oh, mate, this is gorgeous. Um, It's definitely got a similar uh, that white grape. I guess is probably the best word i can think of is the like the undertone so my guess is probably would be the same or similar-ish thialized yeast the body is fantastic Um, it's exactly you're 100 percent right by describing it as like a new school west coast which is to be honest what i would have expected uh i feel like in in a good way i feel like you know like the highlight or um or two-hearted or anything like that old school west coast this is that new one it's less it's still got all of those flavors but it's just really just that bright tropical um thing going on which this really has and i wonder if it's from my guess is it's probably from the uh from the yeast more so than the hops unless the michigan hops came through with that sort of more brighter thing well that's the thing it's the the components of the hops that ralph used brings out some of that tropical stuff i'm getting pineapple i'm getting a pithiness Mm -hmm. on there that is what i i get with the classic west coast i'm getting that herbal backbone that gives it balance when I'm talking, when I drink uh, a hazy, a West Coast, when I drink any IPA, what I want is I want to go back and taste something different every time I go into it. Yes. And when you get those those hazies that are like, this is mango, it's like, wow, this is mango. Mm-hmm. And I, I feel personally, not, not no judgment, diminishing returns of going back to that beer on a regular basis. The beers that I am, and I'm not even talking about my beers. I'm talking about the beers that I'm happy to drink when I talk about Old Favorite Friday, when we're talking about classic beers, new beers, when I walk into a brewery cold and just drink their beer for the first time. 
the beers that give me layers and multiple flavors and, and, and unfold in the glass, are the ones that I'm most interested in and the ones that I go back to and I just want another one or I want to bring a six pack home. Mm. So I think that's one of the things that Ralph does so well. And that's one of the things I'm so impressed by with this beer. And it wasn't just Ralph that's a tank. This is a collaboration beer. So it was a lot of minds putting together this beer in general. But I'm super proud of it. I mean, I'm, I love giving this beer to people and saying, this is what we can do. Because you mentioned the body. The body of this thing is just gorgeous. Yeah. Crisp yet kind of creamy. Um mm-hmm. It's it's yeah the buddy is is definitely phenomenal six point five percent by the way which is like personally I don't know how you feel but that's my money zone like a six point five percent IPA is chef's kiss right shit um it's got a nice a really strong malt profile supported by like that piney resin which you expect probably from the sea hops mostly um but then like as you mentioned that grassy herbal vibes um, along with like the I almost feel the bitterness though is coming from like that like you also mentioned a pithiness like that citrus skin pithiness Mm -hmm. which is sick um and the i think the thing that's like making it giving it that extra twist some like a lot of the new school ones that i've had would have more i mean this has got those two interesting um hops from uh from michigan that i haven't personally had much experience with i don't know their individual characteristics but i've had the new school ones that have like and Moteco or Nelson or whatever. So you know that those other flavors come from those hops where I think my, my if I hazarded a guess, the thialized yeast is delivering that like sort of white grape. And you also mentioned um, um, pineapple that come that sort of like complement those other elements and that just sort of like give it this whole other unique, which I love. I mean, I really feel like there's so much value in these unique takes on West Coast IPAs because we need to get more people into this shit. And it's like, I think this is the hardest style to get people into. But once you're into it, oof. There was an overabundance of overly hopped and overly bittered beers that I still love. I still have a a sweet spot in my heart for, and I always will. But we always go a little too far in every direction. And I think if you can start to reintroduce some bitterness into the IPA genre and allow that to complement some of the flavors, because to me what bitterness does is it adds a little more drinkability. Even though you get a lingering hot bitterness, I I get a a palate refresher off of that, right? You have the the great cocktails. You you do a Campari, and it makes you want to go in for another sip. And that has bitterness to it. So I think there's value to that. And yep. we've gotten away from it because it's just, it's it's a, it's a more of an acquired taste, right? So it's a little more accessible to take that out. Well, let's start introducing a little more of that back in. You don't have to go, to, you, you don't have to make Racer 5 from Bear Republic. I love Racer 5. Yes. I want to drink Racer 5. I, I, I believe that they sold their rights to another brewery and there's a lot of complications about that. But you don't need to make just that. You can make your thing, and you can introduce a thialized yeast strain and have some tropical fruit flavor in there and make – I don't think we need 17 new IPA styles. We have enough, but you can make your own if you want. <laughs> it's true. You really can. And I think I'd, I'd love to see – I agree wholeheartedly that I want to see more of this in, in individual takes. Like each brewery, just do your own – version of it and if you you know you're so inclined and you want to make those really old school like the one you know that race i do remember race of five i've had it maybe once but it was a long time ago but i know what you're talking about like those sort of more amber color um really multi west coast ones that are more you know the ibu war type of thing whereas like i don't know there's so much room for this and i feel like they're more 
balanced overall than the old ones were intentionally not balanced that was the point like if they were balanced mm-hmm. and they would be shit at the time that's what we wanted whereas these new ones are a little more balanced and that's like the tropical juiciness of the new england like you said inspired by a coming into this really cool old school older school style that just it's like you mentioned a palate refresher when you when you sip it but i think this is like a palate refresher across beer because, you know, we talked about it before, you know I love all the haze and all that shit, but West Coast over the last two years maybe for me have become, you know, slowly become like something I'm reaching for very regularly. And like I brought back the beat, I brought some highlight and some too hard and I brought some back and I'm like very slowly getting through it because I don't want to finish it because i'm like ah it's not that simple for me to go get it again and um yeah. I, I appreciate it i feel like it balances out my drinking and I'd, I'd like to see that a little bit more i just feel like it hasn't been embraced i think once it's embraced maybe by those hype folks and it, it'll go you know it'll explode a little bit but i feel like it's like those those breweries seem to maybe be I don't know, leading the way when it comes to this type of stuff. And they all do West Coast, but they, they still don't seem to take off. But I definitely feel like that shouldn't stop other breweries, at least, you know, test it out. Like, it's it's really cool, like, you know, starting off with these two beers from a Belgian brewery, you know, these are, it's, it's so interesting and completely unexpected from you, I imagine. Yeah, and we like that too. I mean, I want to catch people off guard. I, I did a double IPA by me, once again, my brewers did a double IPA. I, Ralph was not the head brewer at this time, I don't think, but mm. we did a beer called Just to Prove, Just to Prove a Point. And it was literally a double IPA, a big fruity double IPA that we did for our anniversary like two or three years ago. And it was literally us saying like, we can do this too. We've got skilled brewers that understand these styles. We don't have to just be in a box and just do one thing. And I, to this day, think it's one of the best beers. That was like orange juice. That was that was well, big orange flavor. And when I say that, I don't mean like sweet. This was a well-balanced beer. It was exactly what I wanted it to be mm-hmm. um, when we conceived it and when I tried it. But uh, yeah, I, I like I like shocking people out of that a little bit. I think that, that's a fun aspect of this. And I'm, I'm hoping eventually we don't sneak up on anybody when it comes to these beers. But it's really, like I said, heartening when, when you try these beers and enjoy them. We just got a really good uh, rating. One of Ralph's buddies is, runs a channel called Massive Beers. And he oh, just did. Uh, yeah, yeah, they're like yeah. one of the OGs. Yeah, I mean, he's a great guy. He's, he's reviewed a lot of our beers in the past. He just did a Neon Skyline review and gave it. He was very complimentary, very complimentary. And I, I just appreciate that. Like listening to other people without bias, without a connection, you know, they have had a friend that's a brewer, but they're reviewing this thing like legit across the board and they go, man, respect. This is, this is one of, this is, this is a legit beer. Mm-hmm. It means the world to us. And I'm, I'm hoping that, that, that filters out into the ether. How do how was it received um, from what you aside from that like from the you know we're talking um, you know like waypoint with the regular customer base and, and things like that what's the what's the vibes? We just released a beer last weekend, so we, it has not even Pretty been out fresh. for seven days yet. Yeah, okay. so we'll, we'll see. the The tap room sales are very encouraging. It's doing very well in the tap room. The package sales are actually a little bit lagging. I'm actually a little disappointed by them huh. so far, but. Once again, most of the people that are walking into the brewery and taking package home are really big Belgian fans. So I think gotcha. it'll take them a little Different bit vibes. to try that beer. Yep. They'll try the beer. I think they'll go, man, I really do like this. And eventually they'll start picking it up. 
Is this going to be, um, I mean, obviously it's a collab, so typically something like this would be a one-off, but do you think that this might end up being a, one that sticks around? I can't see us doing another year-round IPA at this point, just because of our production schedule and things like that. I would assume that I really like this beer so much that I want to do something like it again. Okay. One of the next IPAs that I talked to Ralph about was I want to do a classic old-school malt bomb double IPA. Hell yeah. And do something like the Maharaja, uh, Lagunitas Maximus, one of those kind of beers because I, a lot of these things I just have on old, old Favorite Friday and I go, man, we should do this because yeah. these beers are so good. So I, I think we always have two or three things that we want to do. Then we look at the schedule for the next year and say, how can we fit this in? How can mm. we make this beer? What kind of package can we do it in? And these are the things that we're thinking about. I've got another, another IPA coming up at the end of the year called Simulated Summer. And it's like a four or five percent. We call it a. We used to call them a session IPA, but that's become like kind of a dirty word. But uh, I'm really looking forward to that because it's gonna. We've done it before, but it's gonna be a completely different. I mean, Ralph's gonna reimagine it, use different yeast, do his thing, and I'm so looking forward to having that beer. That'll be in four pack, sixteen ounce cans. So that will be our next IPA, and it'll be out around December ish. Okay, amazing. Yeah, you are right about session IPAs. I feel like when I see that, I'm like, uh, but if it says Paleo, I'm like, oh, cool. It's <laughs> yeah. weird. It's some st- stupid little thing. I don't know why session. I guess because you just feel like, oh, it's just like a shit week version of the full thing and the price is pretty similar. So you just kind of maybe, but if it's Paleo, you're like, oh, this is how it's intended to be or something. I don't know. It's some like, I don't know. It's, it, all, it, it's all mind tricks, man. It's like psychology. cold IPA. There's yeah. no such thing. It's not a nail. It's a <laughs> lager. <laughs> but you put IPA on it yeah. and people like it or they don't. Or, oh, they, or don't. they like it five years ago and then no one thinks about it again and now it's popular again. It's wild. Uh, yeah, cold IPA is something we talk about a bunch. I feel like I, I don't love them, but I love IPLs. I just feel like as soon as you cold it in IPA, I'm like, uh, I don't know, man. But when it's an IPL, I'm like, I love IPA. I love hoppy lagers. It's, well, uh, that's you're, you're you're speaking to Mike, my my partner on United We Drink, Mike Yurevich's heart, because he just he he cannot lie as a human being. I think he'll spontaneously combust if he does. So, like when he sees things marketed as like a, like a cold IPA, he just wants to scream at that advertising. No, you're not. You're not an ale. You can't be an India Pale Ale when you're not an ale. Uh, so that's a good point. But, you know, marketing means so much when it comes to this. And we are, and when we're in our bubble and we're in beer and the, I, I've, we've talked enough that I know where your passion is. I know the kind of styles you like. I know that you love interacting with brewers. So you're, you're in it. I'm in it. I live it every day. We forget how little information the rest of the world has about these. And we forget that people literally think many many people that every craft beer is an ipa great point what kind of ipa is this a stout i've heard that (laughs) 20 times (laughs) that happens i'm gonna fucking spin my beer out (laughs) bro that you've heard somebody say that yes Get this is fucked. not once. No, no. At when you do beer events, you oh, hear this all the time. Dude, they think that that's every cute. craft beer is an IPA because that's the word they've heard or the letters they've heard, and they assume that every single one of those things is that beer. Wow. Uh, so when you, when we are marketing to the masses, I don't blame anyone for saying this is a cold IPA. 
Why? Because people know what that, they know those letters and they feel like that is a thing that they can hang their hat on and they mm. can be comfortable on a <clears throat> store shelf grabbing that. Huh. Can't begrudge you for doing that, but you're really talking about, you know, uh, misrepresenting what the beer is, you know? I, like by every, like, Barometer. It's it's kind of like wild how wrong that is, but I, I guess that's why like people still don't consider lagers craft beer because a yellow fizzy beer is just beer. Then there's craft beer, and craft beer is IPAs, and IPAs are bitter and gross. That's probably the summary. And then I never heard of people saying what kind of IPAs is a stout. Like that's gonna be my. I'm gonna tell my girlfriend because like I love it when something silly unintentionally happens like that i'm i'm gonna it's gonna be my new show i say that all the time now like oh, I, it's that's so it's cute because it's so like oh you don't know that's not that's you know someone would make fun of someone for doing that but fuck my life that is funny okay before my son came my son is five years old before my son came i used to do a tasting at a like a grocery store or you know whole foods total wine and more which is the big big box beer, liquor, wine store down in, in Florida. They're all over the U.S. I would do a tasting sometimes every single Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. This is all like right. early days of Barrel of Monks. I just need to get the beer out there. I was obsessed. I got to sell beer. So I interacted with thousands of people, talking to them and trying to get them to try my beer. Right. And multiple times I'd had someone walking up with a six-pack of Blue Moon in their hand, and I'd go, hey, I've got a Belgian white ale Obviously, you like them. Do you want to give it a try? Mm. No, no, no. I don't like ales. And they'd walk away. <laughs> right. Huh? So, but you, you've got a white ale on your... They, no, that's not, that's not what ale means. Ale means something else to them, mm. right? Same thing. I don't like lagers. You've got Pat's Blue Ribbon in your hand. You don't know what those words mean. They've, you've heard them used in some context at some point, and they just resonate in that one thing. So that that's another one, you know. I've got a cart full of uh, Cigar City High Lie, uh, Blue Moon, and you know whatever other um, pale ale. I don't like ales. Right. Well, apparently you do. <laughs> so you like, just don't know it yet. Beer education is clearly severely lacking then across the board. And maybe it's just in Florida. Maybe that's just where we are now. But maybe it's not that way around the country. But I have a sneaking suspicion that the casual beer drinker is just a very different animal than most people in our industry, in our echo chamber, realize. I think that's more what it is. I feel like that, like you just said, we are very much in a bubble and we think everybody knows what we're talking about. And then someone commented, you know, on YouTube, you can have the shorts. So we, you know, we, we have obviously we have a social media agency and our uh, employee does all, a lot of our video editing. So he was cutting up a bunch of our older videos and putting them on shorts. So the shorts get a larger reach. So we're reaching people that aren't our typical base, typical base of the obvious type. You know, if you're going to listen to a craft beer podcast, there's an obvious foundational knowledge. And mm -hmm. some of the comments that we get on the shorts, I'm just like, why? Like people have no idea about craft beer and some of the things that people are saying are just so wild to me. I, I, I lost the example I was thinking of as I was telling the story, but there's either way, those types of comments were really shining through. I just feel like there's like a, um, oh, someone said that they were like, I like your content, but I don't really understand what you're talking about. And I, I was like, 
I wonder why I really pride myself. I really feel like that we're very welcoming and very unpretentious and like I not an educated beer person. I've just drank a lot of beer, read a lot and spoken to people way more intelligent than I uh, over many, many, many hours and soaked up that knowledge. But there's a baseline that you don't think about because if we're, oh yeah, you got that crispy eye that like, you know, we're throwing out that pastry or these different sort of like words, even like attenuated and thialized and all these mm -hmm. different things that we've just said today. And a person who's not in the beer world would be like, what the fuck does that mean? You know, like, <laughs> I'm like, yeah, you're right. There's, there's more jargon, I guess is probably, I wouldn't even call it, some of it's slang, but some of it's jargon and like a Luca tap. Like trying to explain that to somebody compared, you know, like what the fuck does it? So like, I feel like there's way more knowledge and maybe that's the, not quite barrier, but that's what makes it a little more difficult for people. Cause there's, they might listen. And whilst I feel like me and you are having just a pretty accessible conversation, there's going to be things to me and you that are second nature, but to a lot of maybe someone who's just sipping their blue moon, they're going to be like, I don't understand 50% of what these guys are saying. Yeah. There's a barrier to entry in any specialized, and, and by the way, everything can be specialized. I, I don't yes. care what you're talking about. Somebody knows more about it than another person, and they can talk over the, over a thousand people's heads about it. Mm. And we have to be very careful. I mean, there's a reason why for the past, what, 10, 15 years, craft beer people get represented so snobby and like pretentious yeah. douchebags yeah. in any media that they're represented in, any meme they're represented in. Mm -hmm. It's because, and it's not, I, I don't think it's very intentional. I have always found, even when I disagree with people, I constantly disagree with people about the style of beers that I like and not saying that they shouldn't like them, but I'll say, well, I'm not into this. Well, you don't know what you're talking about. Okay. We can have a little bit of a tete-a-tete -tete when it comes to that. But even when I disagree with people, I find the craft beer industry to be very welcoming on the whole. There's mm. a few bad apples out there that they want to gatekeep. They don't want other people to know about their special beer or what have you, or they want to like kind of, oh, you like that kind of beer, and they get you know kind of shitty mm. about it. Nice but for the most part, people are pretty freaking cool. They want to be welcoming. It's just, as you said, they don't realize that the language they're using is exclusionary, and they're not able to bring people along with it. And I think a big thing about that is also – not just being the cool guy that's like, oh, yeah, that commercial lager is actually really, really good. You should, yeah, it's cool that you like that. It's also, hey, that beer I don't like, I can see why you like that. I can see why that could be cool for you. And I can see good aspects of it. Not my favorite. Why don't you try this instead? This is more along that line, but not what I want to drink, but it's a closer to it. I think we should be doing a little more outreach. I think for the lack of a better term. I agree. I definitely agree. And there's like, oh, look, I've been guilty of my friends. Uh, I moved to to, ha to Hamilton. I, I, I told you all about it, but you know, last year mm -hmm. and ended up having a bunch of mates that I worked with back in like 10 years ago at uh, Apple in Toronto and that bought houses out here because it's fucking cheaper than Toronto. So we reconnected and one of them had like a baby uh, daughter's birthday or something and everybody gave him a bunch of beer and he took a picture of his fridge and it was mostly you know mostly canadian and some other stuff like that and i was i couldn't help myself and even i was just like uh, i can't remember what i said but i was a dick and they were just like fuck man relax it's free i'm like yeah yeah you're right i'm sorry i'm sorry but i couldn't help myself and i feel like there's like but it's not coming from a place of 
ah, superiority. It's from like, oh man, you're my friends. I want you to be, I want you to be drinking, but this hurts me to think you're drinking also. I don't care if it's free. Like free beer doesn't mean it's good beer. And uh, yeah, I feel like it's, I'm, I'm, a lot of people are guilty of it. Like I've knocked back people offering me Budweiser's and stuff before because I'm just like, ah, I just can't do it though. And I don't want to like, sit there and sip something that, you know, it's it's interesting. I'm just admitting the guilt because I feel like there's probably a bunch of people listening or watching that would have done the same and, you know, not proud mm-hmm. of it. I'm trying to change. It's hard, you know. What we like is so ingrained in us, and mm. our preferences are set very early on. We were talking on our show, on United We Drink. I think we got into, like, a hip-hop conversation. And I remember yes. saying something about um, Outcast and how much, like, AT Aliens is, like, my favorite Outcast album. Yes. Right? Uh, which is not commercially considered their best album by any stretch of the imagination. But I listened to that album at a time and place in my life that the ethereal sounds of that album, while I was driving around the streets of St. Clair Shores in the first car that I ever, my dad gave me, that I drove around in my little 1987 Dodge Omni, listening to that album meant something. Mm. Uh, my, uh, one of my heroes, and I have to bring him up in every conversation, Pendulet has a saying that he doesn't trust anyone's musical taste plus or minus three years of the first time they fucked. <laughs> and the idea okay. basically is that in that time period, you were developmental. Everything you listen to, you're going to love. It doesn't mean it's good. It just means that you're going to love it because it was from that time and place. When I went to Canada, when I went to Toronto, you want to know one of the first beers that I had, and you can shame me as much as you want, was a Molson Canadian. Why? Same yeah. Because, because when I was 19 years old and crossing the border into Canada, because I could drink legally at 19 and I could, because I didn't was 21 in, in the States is I was drinking Molson Canadian and I was 19 years old. That's plus or minus three years. The first time I fucked and <laughs> I loved that beer and there was a time and place and it was something special to me. So when I had a chance to have that beer again, it was nostalgia. It meant something. Mm. So we forget how much those formative years in music in TV in drinks in everything will affect how much we love something. Uh, and when someone has that kind of experience with something, it's not the most flavorful. It's not, I want to explore my, the vast reaches. You know, I, I use my dad as an example all the time. My father has, uh, will try anything craft beer wise. He loves to drink the barrel amongst beers. He loves to try new stuff, but he also has things that he's going to go back to that he absolutely loves that beer geeks might think are not good beers. Well, screw you. My dad can drink whatever goddamn beer he wants and enjoy it, right? Uh, We have to give each other that latitude to enjoy the kind of beers that they like. And I want that same respect. And I think we all do, right? Yeah. No, you're hundred percent right. And I'm super aware of it. I feel like a lot of, yeah, it's, it's almost like a reflex. Like I didn't have, I don't really have any beers that I have a soft spot for aside from the early craft beers that I got into here that aren't considered bad beers. So I don't really have that like favorite macro. Everyone seems to have like the Labatt 50 in Quebec is like the big, the greatest thing in the world. Most people just fucking Mm. love it. Or I find in the States Miller High Life is like the one. um, Mm, One of them, yeah. A lot, a lot of things like that. I just, I personally don't have, I have it with hip hop, so I can understand it from that. You, like I said, and I'm definitely down to talk about that tonight because I don't do it enough <laughs> on the pod. And I very much enjoyed that uh, conversation on United We Drink. Definitely check that episode out, guys. Um, 
yeah, there's like, it's sort of, yeah, it's almost like you are right as far as like, and I was even thinking back from the you know, plus or minus three years of those formative years and stuff. I had, I, when I came to Canada, I loved Labatt Blue and Molson. I loved it because it was Canadian though. And it was, mm -hmm. it was stuff I couldn't get. So that was the only reason I didn't know anything about good beer by any means. So I don't have that, but yeah, there's definitely like a, from the, I have to sort of step back and be like, well, just because I think, you know, think it's not a good beer, and I'm, I feel like I'm right, and I've, you know, you try it next to a great lager, one of those macro lager, it, whilst the, you know, you can salute the consistency of these things, which is le legitimately some sort of, you know, magic of, you know, production. I think I would like if it's one of my friends. I'm like, I just want you to be just drinking good, man. Like I've had so many beers and it's so <laughs> phenomenal. And I know the people who own these breweries and they're fucking great people. And I want them to succeed and I want them to support. So it's never coming from a bad place ever. Not, not like, you know, you're an idiot. You need to listen to me because I've had more beers than you or some bullshit like that. It's just like, oh, bro, man, like, you know, this exists, right? Like this is, yeah. But at the same time, I'm, got to be more conscious of that is not proactive and, and, and productive and not helpful. And uh, I don't know if like, if how many people like, I don't know how often, like, I feel like there was only one time recently I'm just admitting to it cause it's, we're talking about it, but it's, it's not something I do often. I don't even come across it often. If people say they're doing it, I don't even say shit. I went out with those same dudes to a bar. They were all drinking. They had craft beer, but they were going between the PBR and then a local and then a Canadian and then a craft or whatever. And I didn't say shit. And it was just when he said the fridge, I'm like, oh, what did I say that for? I'm embarrassed that I said that. Um, it's, it's, yeah. a, it's a reflex reaction. Listen, yeah. this is the thing. We're human. Right, I have made the flipping convert uh, the same things that you're talking about. I have done a hundred times. I've insulted uh, cheap whiskey. I drink cheap whiskey. You're telling I, us the are, Costco tequila or whatever it was. Yeah, you know we drink. Yeah, <laughs> there, there was a time and place for all of this. I yeah. go back to a Wendy's cheeseburger. There are times when all I want is a Wendy's cheeseburger. I will never tell you it is the best cheeseburger in the world. Mm. I would be insane. But there are times where if you gave me a brisket burger with an aioli and a Parmesan crisp, I'd say, keep that shit. I want a freaking Wendy's cheeseburger. <laughs> I've never told you that you should have it. I've never told you that's the greatest thing in the world, but that's what I want right now. And there are times when um you know when i especially before i met my wife and i had my son where i was binge watching tv episodes and i'm watching you know my seventh episode of deadwood in in this day where i just wanted to drink cheap whiskey mm. i just want maybe i read too much charles bukowski that day i wanted <laughs> to drink cheap whiskey and i wanted to be there and i wanted to enjoy uh, maybe a volume amount. Maybe I have a problem. That's okay. You can you know send your emails in. Craig will help me out. <laughs> I but, got you, bro. <laughs> I'm but, that, but there's nothing wrong with that just no. because I can enjoy a Blanton's bourbon and say this is delicious I, this is wonderful you should try it doesn't mean I can't enjoy a, a cheaper version of that same awesome thing and I think that we should give people more latitude and part of it is just the conversation you were having in your own head and mm. thinking that about your friends like instead of just you know the next time it's like hey man 
Uh, I'm sorry about that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, that I'm free beer, to. yeah. I see them tomorrow beer. night for a poker night yeah. and I'm drinking that free beer. That part of the deal yeah. was come over. They also had Steam Whistle, which I, I don't know if you've heard of Steam Whistle from Toronto. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic pills in a craft brewery, a large craft brewery, but it's fantastic. So I'm like, I I'm, I'm going to be, I'm going to bring some other craft beer over and be like, Hey guys, I, I apologize. I'm a fuckwit. I'll get, <laughs> you know, won't happen again. But when you just said the burger thing, I worked at McDonald's from 15 to 19, when I was 15 to 19 years old. And I stopped eating it after I saw Supersize Me. <laughs> so I you know, ate Maccas a lot and then watched that and I didn't eat it for years and now I do. And then sometimes me and my girlfriend would be like two in the morning and we'll just look at each other and we're like, let's fucking get McDonald's. And you just go and be burritos <laughs> and we just order it. And we're just like, ah, oh, the next day we're like, what do we do? And we're like, ah, oh, but it was so good, right? And she worked at McDonald's coincidentally. So we both have this ridiculous soft spot and it, it's but it's got to be mcdonald's that's the specific thing so as soon as you said that i was like that's what i don't know why it's like it, it, this whole thing just clicked for me because I, I always thought it was like silly that people would be drinking bud or something like that because i don't have those um social mm -hmm. memory or whatever it is those memories but or nostalgia but i do for mcdonald's so i'm like okay i get it completely get it and this is this is therapeutic for me kev I appreciate it. This is <laughs> That's great. That's what I'm here for. We, 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 you know, we talked about this before. With the, I'm not going to charge you for this session next time. I have next to, time. yeah, uh, unfortunately. Okay. But you know, if you just line up your interests and you talk about food and you talk about music and you talk about movies and you talk about TV, you talk about the things that we are interested in as a species, right? Mm. We're going to find that we they're all the same. They can, you can find those correlations across genres when it comes to all those things. We talk about food, a hot dog at a baseball game. I have no desire to eat a hot dog anywhere, but if I go to a baseball game, I'm getting a goddamn hot dog. Okay. Have, and I'm going to. to enjoy it with a passion undying. Yeah. And I might, it might be six years before I go to another baseball game, but I'm going to get a hot dog then too. Mm. Uh, time and place is so underrated when we're talking yeah. about any of these things. And just in general, you know, I, I know you're, I mean, from our conversations, you might have felt like a little bad, like you were kind of like uh, digging on them a little bit, like, ah, oh, why are you drinking that? You're not one of these people, and I can just tell, that is going to really shame someone for the kind of things that they do. There is too much of that. There is way too yeah. much of that mentality of like, you don't like the thing I like, so you must be a moron. I think everyone yeah. takes a take one step back from that every six months and we'll be a better species. Big facts. Well said, brother. Well said. This is this is great. Um, on that note, I just write honestly, this neon skyline was fantastic. I just <laughs> there's you. something about that little whatever the yeast, whatever you did with that, it's like this little like sparkling uh you know, like uh not quite pop rocks, but you know what I'm talking about? There's something on my tongue at the end. And it even worked. I have the soda stream, like, uh, you know, fizzy, sparkling water. And it just, like, mm -hmm. worked. I don't know. This this was fan-fucking-tastic. Like, I'm very, very impressed with that beer. Um, I really appreciate it, man. It's, it's, yeah. it's fantastic. Um, I feel like these really, like, laid the foundation uh, for, you know, the, the things that Barrel of Monks are particularly known for in the world of Belgian stuff. I'm excited to get into it. So we have three bangers right now. Um which shall we do next, my man? 
I think it all comes down to time. We've been talking for a long time. I will talk to you for fucking six hours, but I, I know that eventually you're going to have to call quits on this thing. So we have we've time. got. It's only we got we got. Time. We're going to be talking an hour many, and ten, bro. So how, how many how many more beers do you want to do? I want to do these three. Okay, beautiful. Then we're going to go double. Double. Let's fucking go. Yeah. So I'm very interested about this one. Uh, last time, um, I don't know if we even did a canned beer on the pod but uh this is something that i don't think you do hang on i know you did have uh like you did a triple ipa in a can you did that um just to prove a point in the can i imagine a bunch of others but this is a um a belgian double in a can abby turner um seven percent is that is that uh i haven't had doubles for a minute is that a regular abv for a double first question 6.5 to 7, 7.5, depending on the, the brewery. Every okay. now and then you'll see a double under 6%, but that's kind of rare. Um, okay. Or under 6.5%, I should say, but that's rather rare. Ours may be on the higher side of that. Uh, double is the most underrated Belgian Trappist style. Okay. Nobody drinks a single. Singles don't exist uh, for most American uh, palates. Triples are big because there are famous triples out there. There's obviously La Fin du Monde, which is a famous triple that was well, you know, known here. Chimay triples, huge, mm-hmm. and huge used to be much, much bigger. But even things like Delirium Tremens, they're just well represented with the triple style. And then quads are big and full flavored and massive in style and ten point five percent alcohol. Mm-hmm. I feel like doubles get underrepresented. Double is basically a brown ale. It's a Belgian oh. brown ale, Belgian amber. And there is very few other styles I love more than a brown ale or an amber. So uh, a lot of Belgian candy sugar in this beer, uh, slight phenols and esters come out of it. But it's just got, by being a cold beer, it's got a warming aspect to it, a little bit of residual sweetness, tons of caramel and chocolate, and just those subtle Belgian fruit flavors. Oh, I'm excited. Cheers, brother. Salute. Hmm. Oh yeah. Do you know what, man? I never thought of a double as a brown ale. Don't know why. And I fuck. I love brown nails. It's something I realized as time went on. I, I just appreciate brown nails in a way that I, you know, haven't for a long time. But I never thought of. I guess you're right. It looks and has many elements of a brown ale. Yeah. Look yeah. at that bad boy. Um. So- is this one new? So we have been doing Abbey Turnout for since this was one of the first six batches of beer we did at Barrel of Monks. Gotcha. So we've been being a Belgian style brewery in our inception. We were going to do single, double, triple, quadruple, a saison, and a wit. That's really what we were all about. Mm-hmm. We also did a, a Belgian Imperial Stout early on, and a couple other things. But yeah, we definitely have been doing the double since day one. We traditionally do this in a seven fifty. Mm-hmm. with bottle conditioning and we do have a triple that you're that we have that is in a smaller format bottle that is bottle conditioned but you can't really can condition right uh, without blowing stuff up there is something uh, really important about doing these styles with package conditioning because the carbonation just changes the mouthfeel and the flavor profile and whatnot we want to do this in a can because we have been doing some of our, our more regular specialty style beers in a can just to give people more access. Maybe they want to go to the beach. Maybe they want to bring them out on their boat. Gotcha. We wanted to kind of, we did our triple on a can for the first time. So 
we have bottles and cans available side by side of the brewery right now. And right. our traditional fans are still grabbing the 750s, but it's such a lovely opportunity to grab a four pack of 16 ounce cans and share it with more people. So we're liking it. People seem to be liking it because the four packs are outselling the 750s right now. And while the carbonation, I'm I'm a freak for carbonation. I, I feel like I'm missing it a little bit. I think that the beer is still really well balanced. It's got just enough sweetness, still finishes dry, and has all the things that I'm looking for in a double. I love it. This is like super interesting, man. And once again, this comes back to what I was saying before. I really feel like you have, and and Barrel of Monk's beers have just given me a whole new lease on life with with Belgian beers. I feel like in my head, whenever I've had them, like there's there's a few things about the Belgian sort of you know that, that super phenolic thing that's sort of like pretty intense. But this is so mellow. I guess is probably a good word for it. Like it's extremely smooth. It's absolutely not uh, too sticky or too sweet by any means, which is something that I always thought. Um extremely balanced it's got the nice brown ale vibes of like the toffee chocolate a little bit in there um with that sort of the candy sugar i imagine is probably what's giving it that little extra sort of kick with a little bit of maybe um dark fruit uh maybe some herbal subtle herbal notes um mostly from the yeast there yeah they're mostly from the yeast okay um it's fascinating man well, it's one of the things, one of the misconceptions that people have, and I actually had this, I was a budding craft beer aficionado, right? I tried everything. I drank everything. And Belgians were my first love. And I drank all the classic Belgians, the, mm -hmm. Bel the Belgian beer from Belgium. And then I got my hands on mostly American Belgians, and they kind of turned me off to the style because huh. mostly were under attenuated. They all use the Chimay yeast strain. By the way, Chimay is great beer, mm. but- when you don't know what you're doing with the Belgian yeast, every one of your beers is going to taste exactly the same. Gotcha. Your fermentation temperatures have to vary. You have to have your pitch rate has to be right. There's a lot of things that go into it. You can manipulate a Belgian yeast strain to taste 20 different ways, or you can just make a double, triple, and a quad that all tastes exactly the same. And that's what most breweries did. And I kind of got turned off on the whole thing. And it was my partners at the brewery that were my friends first that became my partners at the brewery that got me drinking Belgians again and had me drinking dry, well-balanced, extremely nuanced Belgian beer. And I said, oh, I forgot that this could taste this way. Ooh. And that's always been our goal is to, is to bring the balance back to it, ferment them out a little bit better, get better attenuation, lack of sugar, uh, and, and really express what you can do with this malt, this yeast, these sugars. Mm. This is fascinating, bro. Um, I totally, I totally get it, and I can see why. I was just checking on Untapped. I saw the pictures of the the big, the big bottle. I see what you mean. I can see why this would, because this is like when you think of a double. This is not what I think of at all. When I think of a double, it's this big, overpowering, intense, sticky, thick. That's why I was curious about the ABV because it's been a while um, in my head. I know the triples are a little on the higher side, like nine-ish or something like that. Yeah, usually. So this, this being about seven kind of actually sounds about right. But just, you know, being just like an intense drinking experience, like not like in, you know, I can just sit back and like, you know, kick it and drink this and not think about it too much and just enjoy it. I always sort of felt like it was this big sort of, you know, just this whole thing. But it's completely proving me wrong. And, and it's, I don't know if I've ever had a, a double from a can before. 
So it's almost like, do you think that maybe that's like a psychological thing, which makes it feel like you can like, yeah, man, look, I'm having a double. Fuck yeah. I'm just going to crush it like it's anything else, you know, whereas a bottle feels like more of an experience these days. Well, the, the, so much of everything is psychological, right? I mean, As we're looking at a today. darker, like, like, yeah, look, look at this, look at this dark beer, right? That's got to be heavy. When yes. you try, when you try our triple in mm-hmm. whatever a few minutes, you're gonna say, "Oh my God, this triple is so much heavier than this double," and that triple's golden in color. Mm. We drink with our eyes. We see yeah. dark. We think heavy. I, I use this example all the time. The amount of times people go, "Oh, I can't drink anything heavy like a Guinness." Guinness floats on everything for a reason. It's 4%. It's lighter than a Budweiser. Guinness is a light beer. It's just dark in color. Mm. But people think it's heavy. Well, I mean, part of it is the nitro, and there's some uh, there's some other aspects to it as well. I'm not going to deny that. But when it comes to the actual body style and the thinness and the attenuation and the, the, the presence of sugar, it's a dry, drinkable, light-ass beer. It's a reason why mm. people are like, oh, I drank 17 Guinness last night. You never hear I drank 17 Old Rasputins last night because they'd be dead. Uh, so <laughs> when you look at a double Literally. and you say 7%, how much different ABV-wise is this to Neon Skyline? 0.5%? So why can't this be a drinkable beer at seven, right? Why can't a brown ale be a drinkable beer? It absolutely can. I love that. I really feel like what you're doing, I don't know, this is interesting because I didn't sort of expect to think this, but I feel like by putting a double in a can, it's changing the way that people can perceive the style completely. There's something about cans to bottles, as you would know, because you've got the small bottle, the small format, the big form. What's the small one? Like 12 ounce? So we do 12 ounce and a 330, which was for the triple because that has to have some thicker glass and those are more like European bottles. What's the, 12 to 11 milliliter on the, what's the milliliter on a 12 ounce bottle? It's oh, not 330? It's, no. Three, so 330 is 11.2 ounces. I don't know exactly what the milliliters on a 12 ounce is. But oh, it's like a touch yeah. more. Okay, so it's like three, because in Australia, all all uh, short things like co- a can of Coke, everything is three hundred and seventy-five mil. They don't do ounces. Oh, okay. We don't do ounces. Uh, basically, America and Canada, I think, are the probably the last two places on earth to do ounces. And because oh, yeah, we're more ounces, we should have converted a long time ago. Like, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know about morons because I'm one of you now. But the. <laughs> I, I had to learn it, and now I've forgotten all the other shit. Like, I don't know kilos anymore. I just know pounds, like, as far as weight. I don't even know. I, it's all I knew. I came over here and was, like, thinking, oh, like, the 25 um, – no, what are they? Are they 40? The gym weights? You know, like, the weights? I think they're 40s. I was like, 40 kilos for one plate? I'm like, oh, it's, like, you know, 22 like, kilos or whatever. So, yeah, I've forgotten all that stuff. But, um, yeah, either way, though, like – whilst the bottles are still crushes this is something like you know you could have the same beer like this abby the um the 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 double in a 750 versus this and it's it's like the whole perception has changed like as soon as you see a 750 you're like oh this is a sharer they're going to have a mate or two mm-hmm. over and we need to share it and we need to savor this beer and appreciate it because that's just how it feels and that's why we all end up with sellers because sometimes you you put off crushing a 750 bottle um I don't know, for whatever reason, you just do, because you're like, oh, it's got to be an occasion. Whereas like a can, it's like, oh, it's Tuesday. I don't give a fuck. Like, let's, let's get into this. And um, I feel like the style, this particular style, maybe 
needed something like this. Like this is like, like I said, a whole new perception. It's, it it rebrands it as a very drinkable, approachable beer because that's what you've produced. A very approachable beer, you know. But this even is, this is the thing. Mm. But this is yeah, and this is the thing. Doubles are approachable. They all mm. are. I mean, go and get you know um, West Mall Double. Mm-hmm. That's a great, approachable, amazing beer. I mean, just Chimay Red. It's a great beer. There are mm. incredible doubles out there. The perceptions that we have about what Belgian beer is supposed to be is just not true. Mm. And we fought, and we have fought, and we will f- continue to fight uh, that perception. One of the reasons why we have branched out into doing other things is because we want to be more accessible to the masses, and it's and it is easier to sell an IPA than it is a double. Period. End of story. Yeah. Just, just it's and it's going to be that way. Whenever you get the emails about like the new hot beers that are coming out, it's never a Belgian double. <laughs> and I will I will wager most of my family's uh, you know retirement savings that it's never going to be right. We go, oh, it's Italian pilsners now. It's never going to be like you know the hottest new thing in uh, U.S. craft brewing is Amer is uh, American versions of doubles. Uh, but never know. You never know. But if we can, you know, turn people on to this, we have a lot of people that know these styles and really, really love this. There's tons of Belgian beer fans and classic beer fans all over the world that really, really appreciate these. And the more people we can get to kind of go, hey, let's rediscover this. Let's let's try this out. Let's let's re-envision it. I didn't honestly, I want to think that we were some like genius, like I put this in cans because I wanted to reprogram people's thinking. If I was smarter, I would have said, yep, that's exactly what I was doing. No, I wasn't thinking about that at all. I wanted to put a beer in a can. I wanted to see, uh, you know, give people an opportunity to drink the beer in a different way. But what you're saying actually is applicable. Mm. I mean, this is just my immediate um, thoughts as we're sort of, you know, obviously I had them in the fridge. I've had them here all week and, uh, you know, I've been looking at them every time I open the fridge, but it didn't hit me until now that that's what this that's the feeling that i get from this so i guess two questions one have you ever seen a double in a can and two correct me if i don't think you answered this before or i asked you this why did you put this specific brand in a can maybe as opposed to the short form bottle i know it was in the the large format but you know what yeah what was i thinking so first and foremost, there are more and more Belgian traditional styles going in cans every day now. I mean, St. Okay. Bernard's Christmas Ale isn't it? Was in, in a can last year? Yeah, Jeez. or or maybe even the year before, right? Wow. Uh, so they've been doing it for a while. Delirium Tremens has been in a can. They're doing cans and cans and cans because it's accessible, and that's where the market is going. Mm. So we're getting more and more of them. Have I seen a double in a can? Particularly, I have not, but. I'm not saying it's not out there. I'm just maybe it hasn't made, it, made its way to Florida yet. When it comes to why we did this, Anna, I, I wish there was some kind of strategy around it other than the fact that I wanted to put this beer there. But when we do mobile canning, we have a bottling line mm-hmm. and we do our 12 ounce, our 330s and our 750s. When we bring in a mobile canning line, we've got to do several brands to do the kind of volume that we're looking for uh, to do a canning run. And mm. every time we do it, we do it three to four times a year. We analyze the beers that we have and we go, okay, well, these are the beers we want to do. This is the release of this beer here. Uh, we want to do three brands around this time. We want to do these two new brands. Is there a classic brand that we can put in this format that will make it a little more accessible? Maybe people will like it. Maybe they will expose it to more people. 
what have you, whatnot. So we've done our wizard, we've done our single in Havana, our blonde ale with guava, we've done our triple. And I was like, well, why don't we do our double? Let's, this is actually one of our beer, one of the beers I'm more proud of. If you're coming into the brewery and like, man, show, show, give me a beer you're really proud of. I'm really proud of this double, but it's not one of our highest selling beers. So maybe we can expose some more people to it and then long term, it'll be a good thing for us. And that was the thought process. Will we do it again next year? Maybe, maybe not. Maybe my quad goes in a, in a can next year. We're not sure, hmm. but I like the idea of it because of exactly what you said about those 750s. There is a perception of what a 750 is supposed to be. And you had to crack it open. You got to have three people at least with a glass in front of you and all this kind of stuff. And if I can just grab this thing and open it up and drink it, whether it's with dinner or just as I'm watching, you know, the new uh, Disney uh, Marvel Adventures, you know, TV show. Or Miami Heat game maybe? Too. Or a Miami Heat game. Or, or watch the Detroit Tigers lose yet again. <laughs> then I can have something that I enjoy because the baseball game isn't working out for me. Yeah. Hmm. I like that though. I like that there maybe wasn't as like it's almost cooler to me that it wasn't this sort of like marketing sort of like, yeah, let's fucking put doubles in the can. I just like you're like, you know what? I want to put a double in a can. By the way, that guava I, that guava um the beer we had last time on the last pod, fucking <laughs> glorious. Um I thought about that from time to time. I just love that guava puree and it works so Thank well you. in that beer. Um but yeah, I don't know. I feel like that it's even cooler then because maybe it's like there's unintentional consequences in a in a positive direction um by doing that. And and there's a lot of value, I think, for the just just for the consumer to to maybe be exposed to it. Because just like we were talking about with the West Coast IPA, it's like I don't know, like now as I'm coming sort of like, you know, I I was balls deep in the in the hype stuff. And look, I still am, but I'm like I'm not blinded by it like a lot of the hype people. That's all they deal with. I like a lot of stuff around that. Um but I was in the hype and that was kind of all I cared about for a number of years and then I kind of started to discover the lagers and the lagers kind of brought me out of it oh I'm like oh ESBs they're amazing brown ales oh, yeah I remember them they're incredible West Coast blow my mind so now I'm like more interested and more sort of in this open sort of like exploration stage I guess um, similar-ish to when I began whilst also knowing what I like and putting a double in a can would probably put it in my face more than and I feel like no, forget me, but I, I, the, the my archetype maybe would put it in their purview more often and it was more likely for them to see it than perhaps in a bottle. And especially the smaller bottles, not, not as much of a, a differentiator, but the larger bottles, I think it's just like we were you know, talking about, it's like a mental, not a block, but just a different approach to how you uh, consume that product. A can is whenever, wherever, beach, hike, like you said before, you name it, you need a beer to crush. This is not too much. You could pull up on the top of a mountain after a three-hour walk, even though Florida doesn't really have any mountains, but you know the vibe. <laughs> We've got slight inclines. Uh, they they go up a, uh, maybe a few meters. I don't know. I, That'll I, work. <laughs> it's better. Better on your ankles, you know? Better for the shin splints. <laughs> yeah, I mean, 750s, 750s, in uh, 22s have been dying for a, a long hard death for a, for a, for a long time and it's just a, it's it's a different kind of format from a kind of a past time and there's some 
breweries that are doing a great job with them still because of how special they are and how unique they are. And they want to do the wax dip on them. And they've got the cachet with the brewery that they can pull that off and get people really, really jazzed up about them. But uh, listen, when I when I got into the crab, this is my I'm back in my day, but uh, <laughs> this is that moment for me. But when I got into this business, I'd go into like my local beer store and there were more bombers, as we called them, than there were four packs and six packs, right? 100%. That's where you got your beer. And you got excited about that because they were like bottles of wine. Mm-hmm. And now those are rare. I mean, they're few and far between. They're mostly coming directly from the breweries and never seeing stores because stores can't sell them. And we're one of the few older archetype breweries that still put one out here or there. And now we're the unique ones on the shelf. So maybe we get a little bit of uh, a little bit of a bump because of that. I think that's true because I'd see, and particularly the stuff, correct me if I'm wrong, the stuff that you put in, I mean, we're, we're going to bust open the 750 uh, shortly too. Um, uh, at my behest, I was very excited to do that. But like the stuff that I have, I have a, a pretty decent amount of your stuff in my cellar here, which is awesome. And I feel like almost all of it is some form of barrel age though. Like, And I feel like the one thing that people across all different types of breweries we'll put in a uh are we doing the triple yeah i think it's time yeah right? yeah, 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 yeah fucking i love it you didn't even tell me i love it i see that's how we're, we're on the vibes brother i'm just jumping the gun man hey no you're you're a fellow podcaster which makes my life so much uh, more pleasurable <laughs> um i feel like the it's okay when it's a barrel aged beer um that's when it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, of course it's in the 750. That's what happens. You put mm-hmm. a fucking barrel beer in the 750. No one even questions it, but they are few and far between, and not all of them make it to the stores. A lot of them are very much just a you know, uh, brewery-only thing. So if yours are making it to the stores, and then they're hitting 750s, obviously Unibrew and stuff, but the, yours, yours have that nice shape, which we'll show soon. Um, they stand out a little more with the cork and cage and all that type of stuff, which is just an experience, really is the best way to describe it. So, you know... Is that accurate that most of the beers, obviously you put the one we just drank, the, the double in a uh, in a, a 750, but would you say that most of them, probably not all, uh, are some sort of a barrel-aged situation or some sort of a special thing, or it's not always the case? A good amount, but it's not always the case. I mean, so year-round, you can walk into my taproom and get my Saison, my double, my triple, no, no, my Saison, my double, and my quad. Mm-hmm in 750s at all times. Okay. Uh, you can always get those. And then seasonally, I do my Belgian Imperial Stout in a uh, 750. I do my Grand Cru, which is not barrel-aged, but a very special beer. Every year in a 750, I do my Father Christmas, which is my uh, Belgian Dark Strong. Belgian Christmas sales are a big deal. I do that in the 750. And then we do our uh, our, you know, one-off specialty barrel-aged beers in 750s with cork and cage as well. So we do cork and cage in anything that is barrel-aged. That's one of our delineation lines for okay. that. Because yeah. the triple that I chose tonight to go with a different one, the the which we'll talk about, which isn't in yeah. a cork and cage one we're going for, but the one I put in the cellar is cork and cage, and that one is a barrel-aged triple, and this yes. one is not barrel Got it. Yeah. So that's okay. one of the ways we try to delineate. We also, we've done that's wax not- dip for barrel age as well. Uh, but, you know, we, we try to be consistent. And, and this is a thing. Like a lot of these beers we're talking about only are in the tap room. 
right? You're not going to find them out in the market. Some of them do make their way out, but a lot of them don't. And we want there to be a shorthand for people to be able to find these beers and go, oh, I know what I'm going to get when I get that. Now, what you're seeing there, and this is the difference between the beer you just poured, mm-hmm. that is bottle conditioned. Hence, the, I forgot. I forgot what this is, what bottle yeah. conditioned beers do. And bottle condition, the mouthfeel on this is going to be completely different than the double. Mm. And I like the double in a can. I like it a little bit better in the 750. Okay. Uh, and one of the important things about this triple is that you're going to get those tight champagne-like bubbles, which are just indicative of a classic-made Belgian Trappist-style ale. Gotcha. Uh, I'm very excited to... Uh to try that i remember back in the day before when i was in my belgian phase i moved to montreal when i was like balls deep in the belgian phase so obviously unibrew was everywhere and it was like mm-hmm. a couple of dollars and it was just like so sick and it was always i remember like yeah like you said fin du monde or um Maldite and stuff like that that are like eight nine ten percent and you just take them they're, they're park beers in montreal and we used to live in a building there, and in the building there was a depaneur, which is a convenience store in the bottom of the building. So you could go down there in my pajamas anytime, even if it's minus thirty outside, and get a fucking two dollar ninety nine seven fifty, or maybe it wasn't two bucks, but you know, seven fifty of a nine percent beer. And in the summer, you can just take that shit to the park, and that's what do, and you just drink that shit out of the bottle to the face. And I was like, <laughs> man, no wonder people in Montreal are getting lit because you could just get Unibrew easily, high that ABV. Like the life. It's, I was going to say, I feel like you might even move there if you go there. Have you been? <laughs> I have never been to Montreal. I oh. would absolutely love to. It's uh, it's a very, very cool place. We haven't been back in a year, but we're, we're going back uh, in August. I'm actually quite excited because it's been, it would have been well over you know a year and a bit by the time we get back. It's, it's such a dope city and just even stuff like that. Like they're very much um, into... All that type of thing, barrel aged stuff, Belgian stuff, farmhouse, like all these different things that really aren't as as, as present in other markets, even here in Ontario. Um, Quebec always had that shit on lock because of the you know the French Belgian um, um, influence. So it was just like it was just so normal to you know you get the even when I think Unibrew did a blonde, they did this like six pack where they had like a blonde and amber and a something like that, you know, just like a non super Belgian thing. That would just always oops, like early in the B I'm talking <laughs> ten plus years ago. Um it's just it just actually thinking about it now and how often I drank these beers. They were just this is just what we drank most of the time. Um so Maybe when you were talking about the nostalgia, I never thought about it. Maybe there is a bit of nostalgia for me with this type of stuff because it reminds me of just moving to Montreal, being a broke little shit, trying to stay in Canada and <laughs> trying to figure it out. And like, you know, and this type of stuff was, you know, approachable, affordable, and extremely tasty. So it actually was like the best case scenario. Like if you didn't have a lot of cash, you could get this quite, even though they were bought out, but they were bought out by Sapporo who aren't the devil type of thing. <laughs> and and they still make great beer. And this is the thing. I mean, listen, you can have any vibe you want about any brewer that gets bought out. If they're still making good beer, they're still making good beer. Yes. And they still have people that are local that are that have jobs at that brewery. And That's you're true. still supporting them. You may be giving your money great to a point. conglomerate, but they're paying the paycheck of the person that's cleaning the tanks. And that person is local to that. It's complicated, right? It's just complicated when it comes to you're that. Right. But you know, when it comes to something like uh, like the Fin du Monde and Unibrew, I mean, Du de Ciel is another brewery that's in that is in Montreal, is it not? 
Oh yeah, I used to live around the corner from it. They have uh, two. They have two. Yeah. I mean, Pesh Martel. I mean, just there's so many beers that are just like next level and extremely well made. Those two breweries, by the way, when I talk about and I said American, but you know, the new world version of those Belgians that are over sweet and not well attenuated and all one note does not apply to those breweries at all. They are no. two of the best that do those styles in the U.S. And then you see something like Boulevard, Oma Gang, yes. uh, uh, New Belgium. All do it really, really, really well. And uh, there are some other ones that are not as much of my favorites. This beer that you're trying now, this oh, triple, man. big caramel flavor, lots of caramel malt. Mm-hmm. Um, not caramel malt specifically, but big caramel flavor from the malt. Gotcha. A uh, little bit of phenols and spiciness to come from this. I get vanilla. I get a lot of stone fruit. Yes. I love the bottle condition aspect of this. I love the mouthfeel of it. Look at I this. love the it drinkability. Like, it's like a New England. Well, yeah, because well, you got tons of yeast in there, right? There's real yeast in that bottle. Yeah. I think we had this last time. It looks like I checked into it before. Um, mm. This is like the most crushable trip. This is so dangerous, dude. This is 9%. This absolutely tastes like 6 this is so smooth. So I expected, like you mentioned, the champagne yeast thing, which is that kind of like the the bubbles are so, so sharp they get a little caught in the back of your throat when you you know if you don't if you don't swallow it right. And man, this is this is fantastic. This has got all those things. Um, definitely like a little bit of the spices, kind of like stone fruit, like yes. ci- like citrus pithy as well. Um, extraordinarily uh, drinkable, like. It has no business being this drinkable for uh, the ABP. I probably, if someone's listening to our last episode, I'm probably repeating myself, but the nicest thing you can ever say to a brewer, and I helped develop this recipe on a commercial level so I can actually take some kind of credit for this one. Couldn't Couldn't do it before. But the nicest thing you can ever say to a brewer is that you hit the alcohol well because that's one of the harder things to do. So if you're saying this is more drinkable than the 9% begets, I'm thrilled about it. And I agree with it, but it's really, really nice to hear it because you want to have that smoothness. You want to have something that is just accessible for most people. One of the things, because I I mean, I came from the wine world. I was a wine steward for seven years before I got into the beer industry. And one of the things that Belgian beer does different than a lot of beer styles, it is has the kind of flavor complexity and profile that lends itself to wine drinkers. And mm. I've always believed that a great Belgian triple is a gateway beer. Someone loves wine, huh. I give them a Belgian triple. And I say, let me equate this to different styles and different flavor profiles. It's not a one-to-one. It's not the same, but it has enough nuance and complexity that people can kind of get on board and they can dig it. Yeah. Wow. That's actually a really good uh, comparison. And that is fascinating because who would have thought a 9% traditional Belgian beer would be a gateway beer? That's, you know, it shows it. It's <laughs> a good point. The, yeah. The, the breadth of what could, you know, get people into beer. And that's what we we're talking about before is that don't pre a pretentious dick like I was. Luckily, these are my boys and I wouldn't do that to anyone I didn't know, ever do that to anyone I didn't know. I, I felt comfortable enough and I will be apologizing. But the, you know, the, <laughs> just having like you know something like this is so cool to me like that you can 
show somebody so many different things because I've you know you could you could argue that a craft lager is a a gateway beer and a New England IPA because they're smooth and tropical and they're not bitter and they're everything that that people are scared of IPAs they're they're the complete opposite of that and then you've got something like you know maybe if they like you know darker things like the like the the double there because it's so smooth like you know and in that brown ale category then you got something like this which some people just like you know more um higher abv stuff particularly wine drink it's like oh nine percent you know my wines are 14 so they're like you know that's not scary at all i mean nine percent in wine is like a like a a sweet verge terminer or a riesling like that's like low abv yeah exactly (laughs) you know so this this can definitely I can see how this can hit like this the level of smoothness in this is impeccable man like like once again I probably if I'm if I'm honest I probably haven't drank a triple since the last time I had this with you uh back on that pot and I'm I feel like I'm I must be I don't know I can't remember if I was as as disimpressed at the time but this is like so I, I don't even know if I would pick this as a triple because in my head triples of this may be more um, the word that's coming to mind is like burning, you know, that, that real like intense alcohol at 9% through this body. Like they typically are a little more uh, clearer, but I liked it. I don't know, maybe because of the New England drinker in me. I love this uh, <laughs> visual uh, for those listening. It's sort of, it looks like, no, if you looked at this, you'd be like, oh, you're drinking haze right now. It just looks like a New England IPA. And there's something about that additional yeast that gives sort of the, the body a little something as well. And were, know, were, the, the, were the original haze. I mean, if you want to talk about haze. wit beers and all the, the, the Trappist style ales, uh, even going back to like the German Hefeweizen, you know, that's a that good point. Yeast suspension and stuff is, is kind of right up our alley. Yeah. It, it's interesting the way that the, the perception of the way people drink and what they expected a beer has changed so much because you're talking about that as saying like, Oh, people look at this and go, Oh, I'm drinking haze. Like this is like my, my kind of thing. I'm from a time when you wanted everything to be crystal clear and you, you know, you, you pride yourself on that. Like that's the most important thing in the world. And then you start shifting to this different kind of uh, drinking mentality and the, and the, and the different kind of customers and, being a brewery that has to kind of like exist in this world and take all these little things into account, you know, sometimes we're having those conversations like, oh, you know, we have this, this beer that ticks a lot of the boxes of the things that people are looking for, but it's not exactly what they want. But why isn't it? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, couldn't this be that thing? Why couldn't it be? And it's it's more just like I feel like it's not in the maybe the zeitgeist enough, like people aren't did, yeah you know. Did I send you the triple eight the uh, the thylized triple for our anniversary? Do you know what? I think you gave me one. Okay. When I was down there, because I when I put the I had all of these beers in the fridge, and then when we chose five of the six, and I mm-hmm. put the last one there, and I saw it's got three eights on the label. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely I have that one. So, I mean, we're not going to drink it tonight. That's fine. I, I don't have a bottle to be able, I mean, I could walk it through it, but anyway. Um, that is a thialized yeast with a triple, a Belgian thialized yeast. Okay. Uh, meant to bring out those flavors with an American hot profile with a triple. And Jeez. I'm telling you, I love it. I think it's it's a beautiful marriage. The traditional triple was the hoppy Belgian style. The triple was where the hop forward flavors came from. 
Okay. Excuse me. A little more bitterness and things of that nature. And we, when we put this beer together for our anniversary, for our eighth anniversary, we wanted to kind of like, kind of give a nod to the past and give a nod of what we were doing in the present. And I think we came up with something really, really nice. And I'm pretty proud of that one too. What would be the difference between that one with the Belgian thialized yeast and say something like this one? Oh, I mean, it, completely different profile. I mean, okay. you're you're getting you're getting some of those tropical fruit notes. It's a little bit uh, drier. It's a little bit lighter in body. Okay, uh, you, but you're you're getting some of the phenols. the uh, The yeast, I believe, is called Sundew from Omega. And the whole point of that yeast is to bring is it's a Belgian version of that. So it, it gives you the, the 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 phenols and the esters of a Belgian yeast, but it brings in some of those kind of like whatever the thialization does to to bring out more hop flavor. So it's hmm. it's a balancing act with something like that and, and trying to not go too far and tip the scales in one way or the other. But there's just there's there's so much to be done. I mean, five, six, seven, ten years from now, we're gonna have a brave new world of all this great new chemistry to get the exact flavors we're looking for. It's amazing. I love that there's um, experimentation in this world in the Belgian side of things because, like, if you said I, I never heard of like a Belgian thialized yeast, like that's sick, man. Like yeah. that just shows though that like that in that category because I almost feel like. There's like all the other styles, which I guess is like the British beers, which are kind of like this, you know, whatever. I don't know if they invented the lager or not or whatever, but they're typically, well, you got the German and, and Czech type of thing associated with lagers and pilsers, British, all the British stuff, and then Belgian, and then kind of everything else, which seems to be North American or at least pioneered by the US. So to have, and I feel like in the in the realm of the British styles and in the German and Czech styles and in the Belgian stuff, there hasn't been arguably a ton of innovation over the years because they're very traditional. Fair. Everything is, and, and that's not necessarily a bad thing because I feel like it's like those things have come back in a way and people are appreciating them even more now, um, which is great. But it's super cool to hear that there's some sort of like fun shit happening in the world of Belgians to be like, hey man, you know what we just did with that uh, Waypoint IPA you just drank? Oh, sweet. Well, we did a similar shit with this yeast for this Belgian triple. And it's a Belgian yeast that's done the same thing. Like that is cool. And I feel like it's those type of efforts that are going to bring the style maybe into more of a, uh, uh, I don't want to say mainstream, but you know what I mean? Like more of a sort of a, uh, more prominence in the beer world whereas like everyone knows belgian beers most drinkers except those who are maybe pretty in the last few years who just came in who only know haze and pastries and smoothies there's got to be a bunch of those folks but most other people have been through that color wheel and the belgians and so on and so forth so like i think it's just injecting new life into a traditional style which you know is arguably perfect as it is and doesn't need change but like yeah let's fuck around a bit well it's fun there's a the, i can only speak to myself i was introduced to beer craft beer through belgians it was the thing that didn't taste like anything else mm, right that's i true. talked about my killians i talked about my i when i was 19 i had a fake id and i could get sam adams oktoberfest Good right man. and that was that that certainly wasn't budweiser but the first time I had a delirium tremens, that was 
that was the antithesis, right? That was mm. the completely different kind of thing. Completely. And Nostradamus and Saxo and all the Trappists. And the story that I hear from so many people that came through beer at my time is all the same. I discovered Belgians first, then I got into stouts and porters, and I got into IPAs, and then I kind of forgot about the Belgians, and I went and did my own thing. So if we can bring some people back, because there definitely are gateway beers there. And by the way, I don't have my, I don't have my finger on the pulse of what's happening in Belgium. But from what I understand, there's tons of IPAs happening in Belgium right now. We're, we might not get them in the States, but just like we've got the craft beer movement in the U.S. and Canada, they got a craft beer movement there, and they're doing their version of the haze craze. They're doing their version of the smoothie sour. They're just doing it probably in a smaller, you know, just like other breweries in a very, very small footprint and putting those things out. There's innovation in Germany. There's innovation in England. There's innovation everywhere. We're probably just not getting the best of it or the most interesting aspects of it, and it'll filter out eventually. But as long as people are still trying to push innovation and these companies are coming out with thialized yeast strains and all the crazy hop varietals, I mean, listen, we are lucky. There's going to be an incredible beer until, you know, the sun burns out and, you know, chars us all on earth. It's whether or not, you know, there's going to be enough <laughs> people drinking that beer to support 10,000 breweries is really the question. That's really what it is. Um, I love that though. It's just, you, you are right about the European scene. I know I've heard some great things about Italy that they got a pop and scene. I know obviously in Scandinavia with, you know, Omnipoyo in Sweden and Michele in Denmark and stuff like that, killing it. And obviously England's doing great. And it's sort of like, you know, um, it's growing out there, but yeah, I guess we just don't get ex, uh, exposed to any of it. And it just seems like something that typically wouldn't be I don't know, messed with. And then you look at the, you know, the, the, you know, the, yeah, Bel uh, what is it? The German purity law of 1516. There, uh, as far as the lagers and all that type of stuff and the way that everything's so traditional. And I don't know if I talked to you about this, but there was this thing over the last maybe five years where the Czech government was bringing brewers out to the Czech Republic. Did we talk about this? No, I don't think okay. so. Okay. Fantastic. So it's a program that, um, it was very big here in Canada, and I have definitely heard that it's happened in the States too, but they were bringing brewers out for like a week, and they were showing them around all the different breweries that were meeting the equipment manufacturers, you know, the Luca, the fucking, all the tanks, and blah, 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 blah. And what that tended to do, at least in Canada, is that there's been this influx of Czech-inspired beer in the last five years. Um to some sort of crazy thing and it's like hyper traditional like almost zero uh innovation as you know the the there's a brewery in toronto which i think i told you about called godspeed that i wanted mm -hmm. you to to swing by they um did a collab with Czechvar, and that they also got a uh a pitch lined barrel custom made by pilsner urkel and then shipped out and then they have like their their beer that's like an ode to pilsner urkel like a stainless version then they put that stainless version they put it in the wood for a bit like you know people are really taking this check shit seriously out here so it's almost like the innovation is at some point is the going back to the tradition 
You know what I'm saying? Like there's, so yeah. it's like the innovation as far as like, let's just fucking throw a bunch of fruits in these sours and then just let it sit there and not question it and just let it all sit. Then let's not filter it out and just chuck it in the can and hope it doesn't explode. <laughs> and you got, yeah, you know, let's put our birthday cake in this stout and all this type of shit, right? That's one level of innovation. Yeah. And then you've got the complete opposite. So I had Belgian in that sort of Czech thing, which is this sort of like, no, these guys figured it out hundreds of years ago. Let's just not mess with perfection type of thing. So there's something almost like, hey, this is kind of fun. Like the fact that the Belgians are doing all the, you know, hype North American stuff, but also, you know, fucking with the yeast a little bit. Like, I don't know, that's just really cool and interesting to me. I like that. I, I think people are going to innovate no matter what. And I think mm. that just in general, we do want to try new things. I mean, the... It's true. We we get to a certain point in our lives where we just kind of want the thing that we like, right? Like, give me the thing that I like over and over again. I've decided it, and I, I think that's a it's it's a symptom of being a human being, right? The 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 best instincts we have are to continue to try new things and love new things and really really appreciate what's going on now, and. There's always the next generation behind you that's going to kick you in the ass and say, well, you're old and you don't know what you're talking about and we got to do this new stuff. And that happens in Belgium and Germany. That happens in the Czech Republic. That happens in every single place in the world. There's someone that's going like, hey, old man, get out of the way. I, I got I got an idea. Stop stopping me, right? So I think that's that's prevalent everywhere. It's probably more open, wide open in North America than it is, is anywhere else, but it doesn't mean it's not happening in other places. Mm. And those innovations that lean into classic understanding of flavor, once again, to relate it to a different thing, Italian cooking. I love cooking. There are classic flavors that go together in Italian cooking. And there are people that do fusion restaurants. This is Italian, Asian, Cuban fusion. I don't know what that means, but I've been to places like that and they're really, really good, right? But at the end of the day, you don't have to recreate a tomato mozzarella basil salad, right? It's, it's all you need. It gives you every flavor you might want. And if you want to give a drizzle of a jalapeno, something balsamic on top of it to add a little kick, great. Maybe we need a hint of some of these new things in there to mess around with those classic styles. Maybe we don't need to reinvent them completely. Or maybe we just need different categories and you get a chance to pick. I want my crazy over the top, uh, super sweet, crazy pastry style, but I also get my innovation on my Czech Pilsner. As long as we have an avenue open for both those conversations, I'm a happy guy. Uh, man, that's the best way to put it. I feel like, you know what? I mean, you and I, I think we're born the same year. Oh, it's time. Um, the thing I've learned over time, I'd be curious if you feel the same, is that the truth is always in the middle. Oh, and, without a doubt. And balance is the key to life, which is an interesting thing because I feel like it maybe sounds like a cop-out or just like a stupid little statement, but I, it couldn't be truer as far as I'm concerned. And I think that's really what it is. It's more like, you know what? We've got the traditional, which you can love and you can fuck with, but then you've got the crazy other side, which has its purpose too. So this is something that is probably in the middle of both right here. This is the Grand Cru. Would you say, is this just like a straight up Scotch Ale or this is a Belgian style Scotch Ale? 
So it's a Belgian style Scotch ale. It is. So every year we do a Grand Cru. And for us, it's not the same beer. It's not a, it's not a style. It's a designation of a very, very special beer. Okay. We never use any adjuncts. This is the representation of water, yeast, hops, and, uh, and barley, um, of malts, essentially. Um, this is always, we've, I mean, I think we've done it now for eight years. Never the same yeast, or ne never the same recipe twice. Always mm -hmm. something different. Always high gravity, right? At least eight and above. This is nine. And, yeah, and we want to represent like what you can do with just simple ingredients. We've always used a Belgian yeast strain in the Grand Cru so far. That may change in the in the future. Okay. And this beer, we decided to do a, a Belgian Scotch ale. Last year, it was a Imperial Saison. No, last year, it was a Golden Strong Ale. Sure. The year before, it was a Dark Strong Ale. The year before, it was an Imperial Saison. The year before that, was an Imperial Red. We've done a lot gotcha. of different things with this style. And it is, you know, bottle conditioned. It's full flavored. And... All those kind of things that you get from adjuncts, we want to show you. You can get this from malts and candy sugar and the other things that we can use in brewing. Hell yeah! It's um, I love the uh, the bottle condition beers because uh, that shit was like, it just sort of like the head just like was pouring out of the bottle, which is uh, <laughs> whoa, which is gorgeous. Um, and a Scotch ale. So is this a is this sort of like a unique? hybrid that you guys did um or is this uh, look at that fucking head dude or is that um is this something that's sort of like a relatively common belgian thing well there's a couple i mean mick schuf uh from schuf uh, brewing maybe that's the name yeah. of their brewery that's the uh, h-o-u-f-f-e -F -F -E. yeah. yeah so yeah, mick yeah. schuf is a is a belgian scotch ale i mean schuf incredible everything they do is amazing uh scotch silly is another belgian scotch ale so there, there's there's a precedent for doing a belgian version of a scotch ale it's something that we really like um bill mcphee one of my partners at the brewery he's of scottish heritage and this is actually i believe i might be wrong this may actually be his tartan for his family oh, i believe that's sick because we've used that in the past i believe uh, so there's there's some nice stories to be told in that. But, you know, the big malty nature of a Scotch ale, of a wee heavy, there's a lot of different ways you can kind of term this. And a Belgian beer, they complement each other really, really well. So it has a lot of those, na the, the nature of like a, excuse me, of a, like a big Ooh. Belgian dark strong ale, like a quad. But okay. you get more molasses. Yes. You get a little more sweetness. It's got this like real expressive like chocolate nature to it. I mean, all that toffee. There's just a lot going on here. It's. I was gonna say it's very. Um, it's reminiscent of the double, but as soon as you said it, it was like that toffee. It's way more intense. The carbonation is a little stronger. Uh, this is nine percent versus seven percent, so it's like yeah. a touch bolder. And maybe the body's thicker. kicked up quite a bit. Yeah, body is body is definitely kicked up. Um, I, I I don't recall this. You mentioned the silly one. I feel like that's so familiar. I feel like I've had that before. But it silly, must, yeah, must have been a while ago. Um, yeah, this is fascinating, dude. And it's still got like that um that sharp carb, you know, that's uh, so common in the 
in the Belgian stuff, which I, I quite enjoy. I almost feel like I don't get that super sharp carb that often in beers. Well, one of the things people don't realize about carbonation is not only do you do the little mm. bubbles popping consistently give you more aroma because it delivers aroma literally to your olfactory senses, but also it's carbonic acid. Okay. There is a, a slight tinge of tartness that will be added to your beer by having more carbonation in it. So there is a balancing of some of the sweeter aspects of a beer that come out through the, obviously through the malt uh, character, but also just through the fruit flavors that come out in a, uh, you know, an estuary yeast strain. So everything, everything plays a part, right? Right. That's what I love about Belgian beer. It's not just the malt and the yeast and the water and the hops. It's also the carbonation. It's also the fermentation temperature. It's the temperature in which you serve it. I mean, there's so many things that give you a different experience. And this is not completely unique to Belgian beer, but it's one of the things I love about Belgian beer. Hell yeah, man. Um, I almost feel like it's it's more, I, I, well, no, I almost feel like it is. It's so much more nuanced than perhaps it gets, um, I was about to say get credit for, but it's more that people remember. Like, I feel like when it was... I don't know when I got into it pretty deep 2012, 13, 14, something like that. Like I was like drinking Belgian so much. It always comes up in my Facebook memories. There's so many Belgian beers. I was drinking heavy and it was, it was just normal. And it was so varied, but I think because you sort of like a lot of drinkers get sort of taken away from it for a bit. You just forget about like what it can actually offer as a, I don't, know, I don't want to call Belgian a, a style as much, but you know what I mean? Like at least like a particular whole, con- a whole country is is doing this really unique stuff. And it's it's so much more, you know, maybe my people might picture Belgian as being maybe one dimensional, but it's like, it's truly like, this is crazy. Like, this is fantastic. This once again, uh, on the compliment side, absolutely does not taste 9%. Like this is, this is really fucking... Uh, yeah, and it's very it's very different to say the triple. The triple was a lot smoother because I guess this is more bottle conditioned. It's got that sharper carb, so it's a little more intense. But it's this the toffee is just so rich. Um, yeah, the other like uh, flavor profiles you could mention in this. Well, I feel like you would- so I I get I do get Baker's chocolate. I get a lot of toffee. Mm-hmm. I get those kind of like dark red fruits that come okay. out of this. Um, I, I get molasses, tons of molasses on the nose. Yeah. There uh, is a baseline because of the yeast we use in this. does get some phenolic spice in the background, but it's a little bit It's a little bit more like raspberry, blackberry. Uh, so it's a little more estery than it is phenolic, but there is a backbone of phenols there. But this is another one of those things. I, I love the fact that as this beer is going to warm up, it's going to taste completely different. Mm. It's going gonna, it's gonna to evolve over time. And this is another thing about you know, bottle conditioned beer. I, I can put this beer down in the cellar and in two years it's going to taste different and yes. it's going to evolve and, and change in some, in most of the ways it's going to be really, really good. Uh, I, uh, I'm very proud of doing beers like this because when I look at the flavor profiles of all the pastry stouts and the adjunct uh, beers in general, and they, they they go across different styles, obviously. I can get so many incredible flavors out of just using malt and candy sugar and yeast. They can be there too. 
and I don't have to go into that. I'm not opposed to using cocoa nibs to get Baker's chocolate, but what mm. if I can get that by just having the right malt bill? Isn't that pretty cool too? That is hella cool. I think it is. <laughs> I, I think it really is, man. I want, almost like felt like there's a bit of a um, a mild swing, pendulum swing back from pastries because I feel like they be, they became a little like just too prominent and too intense. Um, and like to be fair, I like pastries. Don't love them, but I like them. But when I was in Florida, all of the beers that I uh, brought back that were um, big stouts, none of them were almost none of them were pastries. Anytime they a brewery had a choice, I was like, which is the one that's only bourbon barrel aged? Like, let me get that one. And it was just more like pastries are cool, but like I don't want 750 of pastries or even 500 mil, really, because you like I don't always you share. You want to taste them at a, at a share at a, at, a, at, a, at a bottle share, and you want to get two ounces of it, and you want to go, man, that tastes that was exactly. Fun. Yeah, yeah, like that's amazing. Marzipan or whatever the fuck. Yeah, how did you do that? And then you want to go on and drink something else. Exactly. And and that's something that's something that I learned so early on. And and this is going back to the days of Dark Lord and Kate the Great and the and the big like imperial stouts when they were first getting hot. Is I was shocked at how little I wanted to drink the most special beer that was poured that night. And how mm. it would go back to either what was on draft at the bar I was at, because we had like bars that did bottle shares and they'd have like a great Pilsner on draft or whatever. Or there was another beer that was shared that was more simple that I was like, oh, can I get some more of that? And everyone's fighting, like literally a tooth and nail to get like one more ounce of this crazy beer. And I'm going, you can have that. That was really, really good. I, I, I'm so happy I tried that and I experienced it, but I don't think I, I need enough. Any. Yeah. Yeah, and and I'm I'm in the business of giving people beer they want to have over and over again. Mm. One, just I need that's how I'm going to make money. That's how I'm going to make my living. And two, that's what I think I'm the most proudest of when it mm. comes to my portfolio. And that when you came to my brewery, I was like, I want you to try this, this, and this. Yes, these are the things that I want you to walk away going. These are the beers that Kevin's really proud of, and this is the beers that he thinks represents his brewery the best. And they're almost never the ones that are on the mar on the margins. They're almost always the ones near the middle, where they have complexity and balance. Because I think those are more interesting. I agree with that, and I feel like that's a, that's a great. Uh... A conversation point about when we came to the brewery and I was super impressed. It was um, it, it, like the tap room wasn't massive, but they had a, you had a sick patio, which is very Florida um, and a great uh, food truck out the front. I was like, yeah, there was a vibe. And I came at like relatively early, like two o'clock, three o'clock or something like yeah, that. We weren't even open yet. Yeah. Yeah. When you came and then, but I was there when people opened, when, when you opened and it was pretty full, pretty early. And I, I think it was a couple of days before I left. So it would have been midweek, Tuesday, Wednesday, something like that. And um, we drank the Waypoint. We, we did the highlight video, but we drank Waypoint. Um, we drank something else from off from the tap, which I don't necessarily recall. And then you were like, what else do you want to try? I'm like, let me try a dark beer, because I didn't think I tried a dark beer. So we went upstairs, and we hit the uh, the special cabinet. You busted that oh, bad boy. But we had a, we had Dennis Sands? Did we do Dennis Sands? That's exactly yeah. what we did. Which was phenomenal. Um, I just, I was like, I just want to try a dark beer 
from i felt like also i'd been in florida for a month and i'd barely had any dark beers so i was like i just want to try i, I want to drink a dark beer right now because we were inside a brewery it was nice it was cool as opposed to stinking hot outside and it was like it, it was it was perfect um but i know i liked that you were like no you need to try the waypoint and i was like yeah and i had that shit on draft and i was like fuck yeah that was great um and we had that and it was, there was something else though do you remember what it was there was one well, other had, thing you- you had the Imperial Lager that I did with uh, that was what Savage was. Life. The Imperial yeah. Lager. Yeah, I think it was the Imperial Lager Waypoint and then the Stout. Yeah. And I was driving, so I couldn't have too much more. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. It's very well, you know, absolutely responsible on those Florida <laughs> roads. I would never disrespect the I-95 <laughs> like that with drivers who are that wild. Um, but yeah, the, the, the shit was really cool, man. It was just, it was really dope to see sort of like the breadth of, of what you do. And I, like, I think the first time we did not drink a, an IPA or anything like that during the pod, um, so it was very, very cool to be able to actually like, all right, well, let's try this one fresh on draft too. Um, and then even tonight, you know, have it in a bottle and then have the new one that you were telling me that you were doing, um, which I just demolished that shit. That was fantastic. <laughs> um, you know, it was just really impressive. Man. Oh, it was, it was glorious, man. It was exactly what I was anticipating it to be. And yeah, Denev, um, since I think you even sent me home with a bottle of that, which I've, I'm sort of like hesitating to just crack. So I'm like, oh, I want to like... I'll, I'll drink that 750 for sure. I'll take that to the face in a night. No problem now. <laughs> I have one night of the week, which I call Big Beer Wednesday. So every Wednesdays, so I only do beers about 10% and up. Because if I have an irregular drinking night where I'm having a Pilsner and then this and this and this, it doesn't uh, really allow room for the larger beers. But if I have one night where that's all I drink, you know, have I'd be able to have a couple of them, or I would have a seven fifty, and that will probably call it a night. Um, but I'll be able to drink the whole seven fifty, and it is difficult to have a whole seven fifty. I, I haven't had one yet, but if something that's maybe a little more intense, but I think something like that, Denison's was like, oh, I could drink that whole thing to myself, absolutely no problems, because it's I think it was ten percent, but it's um, you know, balanced and chill and not too sweet, and you know, it's a really. It's a really dry imperial stout. I mean, yeah, that, that that was a beer that we designed early on to be really, really drinkable, and we think really flavorful. Listen, I I begrudge no one that looks at our imperial stout and goes, "Not sweet enough." Doesn't have the aspects that I love in that style. Fair, completely fair. But we were looking to do something different in that, a little more drinkable, especially being in South Florida. I, I always say this. I want my beers to be drier because most of the classic versions of all these beers, whatever they are, Pilsner or whatever, are drier. But I'm also in Florida. I don't want things to be cloyingly sweet when it's yeah. 10,000 degrees outside. <laughs> I want it to be drinkable. Yep. And that's an important aspect to who we are. We're not just representing the classic style. We're also representing where we are in the world uh, you know, latitude and longitude. <laughs> yeah. It's an important thing too. It truly is. And now I've been there and spent time there and then seen the place specifically. I would imagine that, you know, if you are a resident of Florida, you would sort of be just used to that being what's going on outdoors. So you just sort of like, whatever I want to drink. Like in Canada, when you've got that short amount of time that it is like <laughs> that, you're like, Oh, I don't want to drink 10% stouts. I'm trying to drink but whatever it is that tickles your pickle, sours and lagers and blah, blah, blah. But I got mates who are like, oh, there's nothing better when it's 30 degrees Celsius outside and I'm in my basement 
with the air conditioning on, I'm drinking a 12% barrel-aged stout. That's fucking amazing. <laughs> and I used to think, it was one of my good friends, and I was like, you're crazy, bro. But now I'm like, ah, oh, no, I kind of get it because you told me in the United We Drink episode that basically Florida invented the pastry stout. And, you know, with that it context. Could, it could be argued. I, I can't say that for sure. I just want to put it out there, you know, funky one of the originators of like the over the top like we're gonna take this flavor and turn it up to 11 and everyone be damned drink this beer i respect it but i <laughs> but i almost like get why though like it's like really hot but just like oh fuck it i'm just gonna go hard like i'm gonna go and drink this <laughs> that doesn't make any sense to drink it but it's like if if that's your everyday reality then it doesn't even matter anymore whereas here it's such a short amount of time that it does actually matter because you're just sort of like well i really do just need i want to be on a rooftop or on a patio or near the beach or whatever and drink something lighter um so I, I kind of get the mentality that would make you want to do that. And that's why I was like, oh, you're like, what do you want? And I was like, you got a stout? And you're like, yeah, let's go. And like <laughs> that to me was coming back around full circle was like, oh, I've been in Florida a month, man. Like I'd give me a 10% big boozy stout that we can like, you know, really just like chew on for a bit type of thing. But it was cool just to see the, 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 the variety of what you guys are able to pump out there and your barrel program and the brewery was there's a fire. It's uh you know, it's huge in the back. The, the the front is very like warm, cozy pub type of thing. Um, I haven't been to Belgium, but I imagine sort of like, you know, that, that British pub thing. So I imagine it's probably like a Belgian pub type of thing and very welcoming. Um, and it just felt, it felt good. And I was like, yeah, this is the type of environment I would love to crush all these beers in. Like, you, yeah, you man, you, it was cool just to see that sort of like take it from, you know, we did the, the original pod, we did the odd breed pod and then coming to see you and they were like, oh, fuck, this is great, man. Like, it was it was really cool just to kind of, like, bring everything full circle and to see where it all happens and now coming back and doing this with that context. Um, and talking now, it's 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 very, very cool. I'm, I'm more impressed with what you guys have been able to do and sort of really, like, you know, like, you, like you've said the whole episode, like, fly that flag for uh, for Belgian beer in, in Florida and beyond. Um, it's really cool and i really feel like uh it's putting people onto a style that's just sort of doesn't get the props that it, it used to get all the props and the props you know maybe have uh chilled a little bit and now uh you know you guys uh, well, hold, hold it down listen man I, I i can't tell you how much i appreciate the kind words it means the world to me i mean we we want to engage with individuals we want to engage with people that really love beer and it means a lot when it's i mean one person two people a a, a party a, a a company that is next door that does their party at our place because they love our beer so much we're still at that level we're not a massive brewery we did 25 or 2300 barrels last year we're small in the grand scheme of things so every one of those compliments just means the world to me so thank you very much um you know beer is uh it, it, we want it to be relatable. We want people to be able to discover new and interesting things. We love the fact that we are leaning on a tradition that has decades and centuries behind it, Literally. right? That these these things have been made. And we're lucky in the fact that what we're doing has that kind of 
that, that kind of history and trying to do that justice and be proud of it. And we've done collaboration beers with multiple Belgian breweries. And I've some of the best compliments I've ever had was someone drinking my triple from Belgium going, taking a sip and going, it's good. <laughs> That's a compliment, man. For, right? From like that cat, you, yeah. you're 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 doing it right when you're when you're using these kind of ingredients and you're and you're making good beer and you're working within a niche to produce something that you're proud of. And I I hope that every brewery is doing that. I hope every brewery is proud of the beer that they're making because as much money as it's possible to make in this industry when you can sit back and go, I'm, I, I really feel good about what's, what's going out of the front door. I really feel what's good. I feel good about what the people were drinking today in the tap room. I know what it feels like. And I've put out beers that I was like, I don't think I like that that much. That doesn't feel as good. Mm. And I've done this across Barrel Monks, my previous breweries. That's kind of sucks. So, we we are always trying to do that, always trying to represent who we are and just kind of be proud of what we do. I love that, bro. I love that. It's really important. I'm gagging for a piss. So do you want to pause? I actually realize I used to just ask a question and make you answer it and then I'll rush and come back, but I actually have a pause button. So we could just pause. We could both go piss. Then we'll come back and I'd love to do a bit of a hip hop chat because we didn't get to do okay. that. We did that on United We Drink and I know that you said you heard it on the pod we did with Crowns and Hops. And it doesn't happen very often, and I'm always uh, excited to uh, to get into that here on BOS for those who do appreciate it. Hit, hit the pause, man. Let's All do right. it. We're back in a sec. All righty, we're back. Tinkle break. Using that pause button. That, you know what, Kev? We've been doing these podcasts virtually for uh, three and a half years, so basically since COVID. And I only learned they had a pause button this year. I used to ask you a question. I probably did that to you last time. I asked you a question, and then I ran off to the bathroom and came back. You know, we, we learn new things every day. It's amazing what technology can do. I don't understand it all because I don't understand technology. But Who does? I, it, it, if it was me, it would take me five years to find the pause button. So good for you. <laughs> Thanks, man. I appreciate that. You know, I'll call it. you. Thank you, man. I think, look, we're, you're 81, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, we're 81 babies. Yeah. Um, you know, we're not, we're not young men, but we're virile. But <laughs> sometimes things escape you and you're just like oh fuck the pause yeah. button's been here the whole time i just never really thought that it just paused and then right. you can just get right back into it rather than be awkward but here we are yeah so in the podcast on united we drink which once again for, for folks who don't know definitely go follow that um we had a great chat because you noticed that we did a, i did a pod with a tia from crowns of hobbs who's a good friend of mine in la uh, a brewer brewery owner and he's a hip-hop head and i found that across um you know the, the the beer world most people at least that i've come across with like most breweries are sort of more you know rock metal inclined so whenever i come across a fellow hip-hop head i'm uh always uh very excited to, to chat more about rap and that's something that you brought up on on that pod which was great and we talked about our top five you, you asked you did the uh the noriega quick time with slam where you did the uh are you familiar with that no have you seen uh, drink champs noriega's pod no Okay, so Nori has a podcast called Drink Champs with uh, DJ EFN. Both, uh, my video died, but I'm going to replace that, uh, from Florida. And uh, they do it out of Wynwood, funnily enough. And um, they have this section 
where they do questions exactly like you asked, which was, you know, you just got to answer. You said like Rakim or KRS one. Uh, yeah, you know, yeah. and it'd be like, you know, Dre or Snoop, blah, 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 stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And, um, I love that because that has a, I listen to their pod. Nori Eggers, you, you know, Nori, right? Like Nori's a, uh, a fucking wild dude and he, they get lit. It's called drink champ. So they're doing shots for two, three hours. It's, they get like, <laughs> I'd be dead, but okay. yeah, I would be, I wouldn't participate. <laughs> I'd be like, can I bring some barrel amongst some please? Like, you know, it's, uh, it's very cool, but Obviously, you know, we're a craft beer podcast. We always get a little lit here too, but not that lit. Jesus Christ. So, yes, I was very familiar with that where you're going to have one or two and say their thing was say if you did um, one of the ones that say uh, it'd be like Dre or Puff and you'd have to answer. And if you go, oh, both. And if you say both, you have to drink. Or if you go, oh, I don't like either, then you have to drink. And that's the problem because if you can't answer and they always ask the guests a kind of catered question that they know would make a, a tough decision so that the idea is that they would drink so that they can continue to get lit. So I appreciated you asking me those. And I think it's even cooler that you did it not knowing that. I so have that's no great. idea, no. Now, one of the other things that I think I brought up was our top five uh, mm-hmm. rappers of all time, which... I also did with Tio, but I think for this, I think what might be more interesting uh, as a fellow hip hop head, do you have a top five favorite albums of all time? Which I almost feel like is harder than the favorite artists. It's so difficult. I mean, so when we we were talking about that, like I put together some questions just because I wanted to throw that out to you because I Mm. wanted to have that conversation. I was not expecting to have to like, actually give my responses to that and i was happy to do it under the the way if you asked me five times to give you my favorite hip-hop artist i'd probably give you five different lists right because Mm. i'm just thinking about things differently so if you're going to ask me my my top five albums of all time it's going to be a smattering of things that are going to be completely different than if you ask me tomorrow um and i respect that though and i think that's okay it's like as of this moment and this moment in time that I sprung, we did not plan this, by the way, and I didn't yeah. warn you. Um, so it is okay if I, you know, we do this next time and I ask you and it's five different albums. Oh, yeah. That's completely okay. Yeah. So I will, I'm just going to give you five albums that I absolutely love top to bottom. And they might not be my favorite of all time, but they're, they're the first ones I'm thinking about. Midnight Marauders, Tribe Called Quest. Classic. Has to be on there. Mm-hmm. Uh, Black on Both Sides. Most Oof, death. Yes. There's not a, that is a perfect album. It is beautiful from top to bottom. It is, it is just, it's, it's just perfect. It really um, is. Uh, End of the 36 Chambers. Yes. Wu Tang. I, once again, I mean, everything, everything on that album works. There is so much talent around that album that it is just it is almost unbearable how much talent's around that album and the production is amazing uh you know those are the first one the first three that come to my head mm-hmm. now, now i've got to stretch in a bit yeah i've got i've got to i've got to dig in a little bit deeper i'm gonna i'm gonna give i'm gonna go back to the principle of mm-hmm. what are the things that are formative for me tupac all eyes on me classic yes yes it, it's just, it was my formative years. I, I honestly don't think it's actually his best album. Honestly. I agree with that. I agree. Uh, but there's but just something, that album, just it, everything about it and my time and place is, it just means the world to me. And 
man, I'm, 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 I'm having a hard time coming up with what would be my next. Do you have like a, a top five or top 10 favorite artists that if you think of the artist, then maybe you can think of an album from that's that. Very, that's very, very helpful. Um, you know, I might, I might put, no, you know what? I, I this is super boring. I'm going to go back to Outcast. I'm going to go back to AT Aliens. I don't think that's boring at all. I actually think that's, yeah. that's your biggest left field pick out of all of those. Yeah. Cause all the I'm rest go, of them were undisputed classics. Yeah. I'm going to go back to AT Aliens. I think that's one of my favorite albums of all time. I was actually thinking also of Nas's Illmatic, which is fucking classic. And it was written his second album, low key classic. Didn't get five mics in the source, but that's Should okay. In hindsight. Um, it's, yeah, I mean, such a good freaking album. But yeah, there's just something about AT Aliens that I absolutely love. So, th I mean, those like ask me tomorrow. I'll give you five new ones, but uh, those are those are up there for me. Those are really really good options. The yeah, I feel like all the, like the the. It's interesting when you say when you're asked like the favorite albums of all time, because it becomes like, once again, we're the same age. It sounds like we probably got into hip hop around the same time. The there's like the formative thing, but like, I don't know if I brought this up, but uh, my girlfriend's cousin, he's our, he works for our company. He's 25. He's from England. He, so he's like, his goat is Drake, but he also loves future. But so me, him and my brother have another podcast. And um, we had this, segment for a while there where we were giving him homework each week and we were giving him say two albums one r&b or neo soul like d'angelo or erica badu or something like that and we give him a hip-hop album to go listen to he'd come back the next week tell us what he thought so he was like he fell in love with uh jizza liquid saws raekwon cuban links fucking uh, roots illadelph half-life yeah every time i see he knows all the words to liquid swords and to to cuban links and he's 25 years old. He wasn't even born when these albums came out, but he went and listened to them. And he's like, he said to us, he's like, and my brother's only two years younger, three, two and a half years younger than me. He's 83. And he was, uh, Dan, his name's Dan. Dan was like, nobody these days raps like, it's not the same. He goes, music now is not how it was back then. And he wasn't even fucking alive. And I think that's such a cool thing from a dude who's 25 years old to be able to be like, I'm, I've heard this stuff. He went out of his way to do it as homework for the show. And he realized what that, you know, like how dope this music is. That's so undisputed. So all the albums that you mentioned are just like, you know, it's, there's nothing that even really competes with it. And I don't know if there ever will be. Well, you know, yeah. it's so much of it is time and place, right? I mean, these are the things that are like emotionally you connect to. And, and I'll be honest, I am not a hip hop head now. I don't know who's making great music. It is very time and place for me where, where I got into this music and where I enjoyed it. Uh, I, I want to ask you a question, and this mm. just came up, and, and I, will, I will actually start off mm -hmm. by telling you what my answer to this question will be. Please. Desert Island. This doesn't make any sense, by the way. But no, we used to have me. that as a podcast question <laughs> for beer, a desert island. <laughs> we, got, oh, yeah. we got one song, one mm -hmm. hip-hop song to bring with you. One you can song or album? One, one song. One song. One song. One song that you can listen to over and over again. Don't even call it Desert Island. I, I can just listen to this one song over and over again. And I'll tell you what mine is for a hip-hop song. 
Pete Rock and CL Smooth, they reminisce over you. Troy is a classic. Interesting. Uh, so, that there is hmm. not a better, more layered, more complex, more interesting, more socially conscious, more everything song in the history of hip hop to me. To me. When I first heard the horns blare on that song, it meant something to me. Hmm. It just connected with me immediately. And every single word just resonated. Hmm. And to this day, when I have my freaking you know phone on shuffle and that song comes up, I just am transported into a different place and different time. Hmm. And there's no right answer, but is there a song that does that for you? Uh, through the Wire, Kanye West. Really? We. Okay. I've been rapping since I was 16. I'm 42, so I've been since I was 16. Been releasing music since 2002, so literally half my life, 21 years, been releasing music. In 2002, this is just the explanation. We, I met this dude at a call center, and we he had like a deal with this little label, local label in Melbourne, and they had a studio at this guy's house. So he was there. So we went there every day for a year, basically end of 2002 to the beginning of 2004, every day, birthdays. Uh, I'm pretty sure even Christmas, like every day, we were no, we were, and we made an album to a mixtape. Well, it was a mixtape, it was an album. And we would listen to the leaks from Kanye at the time he had produced um, the blueprint and uh, he was dropping a bunch of leaks of him rapping freestyles and then demos from what would become the college dropout. So we were hearing these songs and the way that I'd never heard anyone rap like that before. Like you mentioned on uh, on Troy, they were the way that uh, Seal Smooth was was rapping on that. Kanye had this conversational style. If you think about it, in two thousand and three, two thousand two, nobody was rapping in the way that he was. Like on on all the all the songs on that album, on the whole College Dropout album, um, very conversational, really clever, witty soul beats that were just so disgusting. Like the 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 way that that he flipped those samples, and you, and there was this dude who was underrated, and I always felt underrated, underdog type of thing. So this dude who had to like fight for himself to become who he is, um, was like just the coolest shit in the world to me. And to hear the demos, I heard all the, like I had you know the equivalent of demoitis that artists get. Like I had that for Kanye song. So when I heard College Dropout the first time, the the retail version, I'm like, oh, this isn't this isn't it. It sounds it's different. It's it's not that I had you know, the original All Falls Down with Lauren Hill, the original sample before mm -hmm. Selena Johnson had to re-record it. So like Through the Wires, I think just one of the most perfect songs because if you think about the genius of it, he had a car accident, he had his jaw wired shut, he recorded wrote and recorded the song and whilst his jaw was wired shut, had this crazy sample. The Chaka Khan was forced him to make the song clean. Like she would only clear it if they made the song clean. Same as um I think School Spirit, um uh was also a clean song because of that it was just perfect um and i know he said some fucked up shit but like right here i have a wall of yeezys like uh, <laughs> it's my it's, it's all i wear i only wear i'm wearing foam runners right now like it's all i wear like i know that he has had his moments but like that dude has had such a like you mentioned like a uh, impactful um period on, on my life that was that never and that was when i was you know early 20s it wasn't even when i was like 16 or anything like that but it, it's resonated 
until this day. So I think that that is the best song of all time, and I could listen to that forever and never get sick of it. Well, well, people that open your world up, right? Uh, they they hold a special place in your heart. I mean, they're part of you, right? Mm. Part of who you are, and what that's as part of an artist or part of a human being, part of a person living and breathing in this world, means something more than just a you know, an untouchable artist on a, on wax or whatever it is. Mm. So it's understandable. And, you know, I have a, I, I have a bias against someone like Kanye because I, I was not listening to hip hop when, when he came out, like regularly when Kanye came out, gotcha. I wasn't. So you, and, when did you hear of him? I guess when, when it sort of became more mainstream and it was just like, more, you couldn't avoid 100%. it. hundred percent. Yeah. Much more mainstream, and you know when I was listening to his stuff, and, and by the way, I'm I, I f I'm completely ignorant, so uh, please don't judge my knowledge or <laughs> not having knowledge of of this. But I I went back and tried to listen to Kanye's stuff, and I was like, man, there's so much misogyny in here, and there's so many things that I just don't kind of agree with, and it's there's talent, there's deep rich talent here. But I didn't. It didn't speak to didn't me. Hit. When did you? It when just, did you listen to it? Oh, and this is like, a, like I mean, probably mid to late two thousands. I would and say you heard his early stuff or just all of the stuff. Uh, I, I, I I couldn't tell you. I couldn't. Gotcha. I, I mean, this 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 is when I had like you know iTunes on my phone, and I was like, oh, yeah, I need to listen to Kanye. I need yeah, to. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, man, this is good, but. I don't really like it. It doesn't speak to me as a person. I and, would say you'd be and, listening to like graduation era stuff probably, which to me, I wasn't in love with that because that started to become a bit more poppier and a bit more like out, based on all the things that you've said from this conversation and from the conversation on United We Drink, I'm like, you and I have a same core hip hop, taste in hip hop. And mm -hmm. for you going and listening to the new Kanye in mid to late 2000s, whether it's late registration or graduation level stuff, I can absolutely see that you would just be like, ah, it's not for me. It's a little yeah. flashy and a little like, like, yeah, misogynistic and stuff. Whereas the early stuff was clever. And, yeah. it, but, but it was one of the, it's a, you mentioned multiple times, it's time and place. People always gave me shit because I never liked Gangstar. And I always thought, yeah, rest in peace, guru. Right, but people got mad at me because I was like, I think Guru is nursery rhyme rap and I can't handle it because I didn't get into Gangstar in 1993. So I missed the boat. I didn't get into Master Ace at that time. And I tried to listen to it. I'm like, I can't listen to this. I just, I can't appreciate it because it's it didn't hit me when I was that, you know, when it came out. And you can't like, you can't really catch up to that. And I very That's much fair. understand. And I think it's, it could be the same thing. Kanye just hit me at this time when I was making music and trying to find my way in being a rapper. And I was like, nothing spoke to me more than the soul beats. And we never changed. The whole time we've been making music for 21 years, we've been doing soul beats. And it's, it's come in and out of favor. And it's interesting did, to me. Did you ever listen to any of the Jazzmatazz albums from Guru? Yes. I really like okay. Jasmine Test 3. Uh, that yeah. was my favorite one, actually. That was the, that was the shit that got me into it. Like, I love a few Gangstar songs. Like, Tremo yeah. was obviously one of the goats. But, like, um, uh, Work. I really love Work from Gangstar. That, that song's mm -hmm. a classic. And there's a bunch, you know, Above the Clouds. And, you know, some of that, that oh, yeah. um, royalty and shit like that is cool. That 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 actually that album was actually really underrated. There were there was a time and place which I freaking loved in, like, the late 90s when, like, Slick Rick put out 
an album for the first time in like five years. Mm. And Rakim did the 18th letter, which is we one talked of the about most un- yeah. underappreciated albums of Guess all time. Guess is one of the sickest shit of all. It's so fire. Oh, it blows your fucking mind. Yeah. I mean, his wordplay and the way that he just flows into every single lyric is effortless. Mm. Um, so there was a time and place where it was like, oh, fucking Gangstar has a new album. EPMD has a new album. Mm, I mean, I, remember I loved EPMD. Back in business, um, I think, yeah. Oh, with uh, the joint. Oh, the, that was a soul beat too. The My joint is, is like da, 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 da. that's it was so sick. Oh, that's that that is what that is on like I have like a a playlist of like twenty hip hop songs that are like I can just listen to them forever. The joint is on there Hell because yeah. the 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 background beat is perfect and just like I make a million bucks. Bucks everything went around. I, yeah, man, it's so sick. Everything hits. That shit. Everything yes. hits. Everything's a punctuation mm. on whatever you're experiencing at that moment. Uh, yeah. So there was that time and place where these like these classic hip hop artists from the fucking '80s were putting out this great music, mm. and I don't think any of it really like stuck as like this is like the classic stuff from that time and place. Yeah. But even like even Slick Rick, like his. Um, I forget the name of the album uh, off oh. the top of my head. The late wasn't 90s the one, right? Storytelling? Was the adventure adventure of storytelling? That's that's what I had in my head, but I don't think it was. I think that was the earliest stuff. No, the, the Great Adventures of Slick Rick was his first album, okay. where he's like a, like like Spider Man, like perched on like uh, uh, a building. I think mm. it was the Adventures of Story, the Adventures of Storytelling, or something of Storytelling Volume mm. One, which I don't even know if he did a Volume Two, and that had like. It had a bunch of, you know, guest artists on it. And there were great, great, great tracks on that. And you just saw, like, talented people being able to, like, express themselves in a way that they had not been able to do for years and years. Mm. And I, I love that time and place in hip-hop because we were appreciating these people. Craig Mack had a great album around that time that I was like, man, Rest this fucking peace. guy is amazing. Yeah. Like he, he knows his shit. He can put it down. Um, but that, th- that is, that is my wheelhouse. That time and place was, was so important to me. Right. And I, the farther I get away from that this way or that way, I, I just have a harder time resonating with it. I think that's fair. It's taken like, to be honest, it's, it has taken a bit of effort to understand what's happening now. I feel it from what it sounds like the say like I didn't fuck with EPMD in the beginning because I just missed it but then I love the album with the joint and stuff on it which was their later stuff which like you said isn't as renowned as a classic as as much as the earlier stuff but I just didn't know it I always respected it same as Gangsta I might not have really like loved it and like well whatever but I'm and I like if they play it like sick cool but I'm not gonna buy it or put it on or whatever so like as it got older i felt because i was rapping i moved to canada because we had a small deal we had a uh, funnily enough the the dude who had who gave us a deal lived in pembroke pines in florida and um hmm. and uh it, it was like that's why we moved to canada and that's why we sort of put that out here and i felt it was my sort of duty as a an artist to be aware of what's happening 
what's going on, what the kids are talking about and such. You know, <laughs> and when things changed to change to trappy, like you know, with with the eight oh eights and the trap stuff, I was I couldn't handle it, bro. I was I was so mad. I see all my old Facebook things. I'm just like so angry about it all all the time. And then I I get the point of it now, but it's still not for me. But I get it. So like some of it, I really like. Like there's different do like and you know, I really like. Do you know what? I just I I about to say I discovered. I I was put on to Drake in 2008, early early when he was on his first mixtape, and I was I knew I was moving to Toronto, and I reached out to Drake at the time because he had a MySpace, and the email was talk to Drake at gmail com. <laughs> And I emailed, I was like, hey, can I, because MySpace gave us an avenue to get features from US artists, which we did a lot. I worked with a bunch of dudes because we just emailed them. They always said 500 bucks for a feature. And I'm like, 250? And almost all of them would say yes. <laughs> That's wild. The dude came back to me for Drake for $2,000. And I'm like, the fuck out of here. I didn't know if he was on Degrassi. I had no idea who he was. I just thought he was cool because he sounded like Kanye West. And I was mm -hmm. like, I'm not doing that. And it's the biggest regret, obviously, in my life, because I could have had a Drake feature for two grand as opposed to two million. Um, right. But like, you know, I, I, I've I watched him go. So I've had a soft spot for Drake because he used to not sound like he did. He wasn't doing that much of the singing stuff. He was just doing these bars that he had Fonte. Fonte's in my top five from Little Brother. She so had Fonte and Elzai on a joint. I was like, yo, this guy's fun. He knows his shit. He's just like us, but just a little more further along in his journey i'm like this is sick and then you know watching him do his thing i'm just like i i, I don't and obviously now you know obviously toronto and blah 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 living there and stuff but like i don't have i i can't have a problem with it and i can relate to it to a degree some of the stuff i'm like oh this is pop and this is trash but like yeah it's it's so funny how it works um how you sort of relate to different artists and stuff but i felt like as opposed you are a fan and watching it you didn't have to i felt if I didn't do it, I wouldn't have felt that I had to try to understand and maybe give it a crack at the sound because otherwise if you just keep putting out the same, this older style of music, you kind of put it in a box or there's less opportunities perhaps. You know what I mean? Oh, oh yeah. I mean, everything you just described while you were saying that, I was like, this is all craft beer. This is all time and place, what time I'm comfortable in, with, what I like. Yeah. What, what I'm interested in. I mean, it's it's so interesting of what we will tie ourselves to and what we're into and how much we'll defend it. And I give you a lot of respect for talking about like Kanye and I'm like, I, I don't really get it. And you didn't like jump down my throat and go, oh yeah, you know, you know, you're not, you're not smart enough to get this. <laughs> like, and I've always been that kind of person with whatever music that I love. It's like, listen, I love, I mean, we can, we can talk about hip hop all day. I love talking about it, but like my, my musical tastes are so varied. I love Warren Zevon. I love like great rock artists. I, I love the mountain goats. I, I love so many artists and there is nobody that I would put in front of somebody and go, man, listen, this means something to me. Listen to this. Mm -hmm. And, and the amount of times I've had someone go, Oh my God, you just blew my mind. I love this so much. And I want everybody, I want everything they've ever done. That's wonderful. But it's just as important when someone goes, yeah, I didn't get that. Uh, it wasn't my thing. You know, that's mm -hmm. just as good because you're, you're, you're sharing who you are and you're allowing those people to like really take that in and not just like regurgitate what you want to hear. That's like, that's not, that's not, that's not reciprocal, right? That, that, yeah. That's not what we're trying to trying to accomplish. We want to expose people to the things that we love and the, the, the complexities of those things and maybe give them a little more context about it. Like, why should I like this? 
What's so important about this to you? And if someone can fucking groove along with that and go, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm getting this more and more, like that's, that's an important moment. But if they're just like, nah, man, that's not my thing. Okay. That's cool too. Mm. I like that a lot. I feel like there's like two ways to go about that because there's more like, I like this and I just want to show you this that I like. And I have no idea if you're going to like it, but I really like it. So I'm just going to show you whether it's a beer, music or anything else. But then there's like the targeted, um, hey, Kevin, look, man, I know you. And you've told me you like Gangsta and then you like Tribe Called Quest and then you like uh, EPMD. So because you said that, I think you're going to like this that I'm really passionate about. So I'm going to share this with you and I really hope that you like it and it's okay if you don't. Like when people do that, like whether it's beer, food, restaurant, a movie, a city, like anything, a book. If someone recommends me a book and they go, hey man. I think you'll like this book. I fucking buy it. I just add it straight to Amazon. I just buy it immediately <laughs> because that's great. I think that is the ultimate respect that I can pay to that person. Because if I respect you and you're saying to me, and we're friends, and you're saying to me, bro, I think you'll like this, I'm like, sweet. And I just do it every time because I remember watching, what was it recently? It was, um, it was Joe Rogan podcast and someone was saying to him i think it was who the fuck was it someone was saying to him i go joe do you know why you're successful because people suggest things to you and then you just do it you listen to them and then you change i think it was andrew dice clay said to him it was like mm. an old school because I, I had a mate back in the day who really liked dice clay and he used to play him to me all the time and i just thought it was just silly so i was like let me hear him joe always talks about dice clay so i listened to it and that's what he said. He's like, that's why you're successful. Because you listen to other people. Dice Clay told him, why aren't you touring? Because he was just doing LA clubs. And he's like, yeah, why aren't I touring? And he started touring and making money and growing his thing. And I was like, yeah, because I got a bunch of friends around me. And I imagine you might have the same thing around you. And maybe a lot of people listening and watching have a similar thing where I got a series of friends around me that they know what I like. And if they say to me, hey, man, I think you're going to like this. And then I, I listen to everyone who recommends something because in this age of fucking complete saturation, there's a million rappers, there's a million beers, there's a million movies and TV shows or whatever, books. If someone says, I think you might like this, then I take that very seriously because that means they are taking into account my, my goals, my ambitions, my personality, my interests, all of that shit. So I'm like, cool, I respect you. So I'm going to go ahead and take that in and maybe I'll like it, maybe I won't. But I feel like that's a more meaningful thing. So a recommendation in 2023 holds more weight perhaps than it used to because of the inundation of uh, fucking just stuff going at our faces and our eyeballs every single day, whatever that is. I don't know how you feel about that. Well, there's two things there. Mm -hmm. One, for me to make a recommendation to you shows vulnerability. I'm telling you something that I love and I know that you might not love it, mm. right? You might come back to me. Just okay. recently, I told my uh, podcast partner, Mike Urevich, he should watch Moral Oral from Adult Swim. Mm -hmm. It is one of the most brilliant, beautiful TV shows ever made in the history of mankind. It is a claymation TV show mm -hmm. made in the mid-2000s and it is so much more than that. It is so perfect. It is so important. It is so well done. And if he comes back and says, Kevin, I watched three episodes. It was garbage. I don't like it. 
well, that's going to hurt me. Like, cause mm. that, this is something that's important to me. Right. So I'm being vulnerable. I'm, mm. I'm opening myself up to somebody not loving the thing that I love when I love them. Right. That's what, that's an important thing. And the other thing you're doing is you are just showing them your heart. You're showing them who you are at your core. And if you are, if, if you define yourself by all those aspects of music and time and place and things of that nature, like that, 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 that means everything to you. Mm. Uh, so it's really, really difficult. Uh, and when, and when you say, I take that in, I take, I take so much, um, importance into that, you're giving respect to that, to the understanding that they're being vulnerable and, and, and giving you that. That's, that's, that, that's everything. Mm. Yeah. I hadn't thought about it as far as the vulnerability, because obviously you don't want to be embarrassed and tell somebody passionately, Hey, check this out. And if they don't like it, you can be like, Oh man, like I feel like an idiot now, but I feel like if you say it to your closer friends, people you know well, like I wouldn't just tell a stranger, go listen to College Dropout. It's the best album of all time, and you can't tell me otherwise because I know music is subjective. I think it's objectively incredible stuff, but who the fuck am I? I don't know. This is just my taste. So like, you know, it's it's a... Uh, it's very interesting like that. And all of this puts in perspective. It's interesting for rap. I can be a little more like, I don't really, I know that music is more subjective than say beer. If you want to compare music to beer, we're coming back to the original thing of me telling my mates, they shouldn't be drinking the other beers. Like if they told me they didn't like Kanye West, just like you did, I'm like, ah, it's okay, man. Cause I get it. And he, it's an, a unique style. And if you don't like Kanye, that means you're probably not going to like this and this and this that I really like. And it's just the thing that I like. And there's so many lanes in rap music alone, let alone a million other genres that like, it's okay. Oh, yeah. It's it's okay. I don't have to fight you over that. It's because it's not that important to me that you like the same music. I'm like, it'd be cool if you did, but I'm not offended if you don't like Kanye because it's so subjective. But I think that beer that I have much less emotional attachment to music. I have extreme emotional attachment to, but beer, I, I, I'm saying actually about to say that I don't, but maybe I do that. If someone's like, yeah, I'm just going to drink this Budweiser. I'm like, what the fuck are you doing? Do you know that this exists? Get steam whistle, bro. It's right there. Like, are you fucking crazy? Like maybe that, I, I don't know why my, like my immediate react, because it, to me, it feels objectively wrong. That like, if you drank a Budweiser and you drank any other craft lager, and I'm almost saying any craft lager, you're going to be like, oh, flavor, huh? Like, <laughs> yeah, it's a thing. Like, you know, I just feel like it's not even like, what do you even, don't you, what, there's no conversation to be had. Whereas music, I think there's more nuanced. So maybe I'm just, it's interesting just hearing that. I'm just like, oh, why do I get so like, like, uh, you know what I mean? It's, it's different the same, type of passion. It's, it's the same nuance. Anything you care about is going to is going to have that same weight. If yeah. you give a shit, if you give a shit, you want other people to give a shit. If I were to tell you, listen, next time we're going to be on this show, and I hope I come up back on the show. Oh, I love no having question. these conversations. But I want you to listen to Radioheads and Rainbows before we get on the show, mm -hmm. because that thing speaks to what my soul sings when I am just out and about in my day and I want you to know me better. Mm -hmm. That means everything to me. Right. And if you say, well, yeah, I listened to it and just uh, didn't, didn't do anything. 
Like that's a, that that feels like a personal affront. It's never. It, it almost hmm. never is. Right. It no, almost no, it never, never is. is. I can't imagine right? it ever would be. Yeah. No, because like when you like someone and you have a good rapport with someone, you, you, just because you don't like the music that they like or the beer that they like or the restaurant they like, you're not saying anything about them. You're saying something. You're literally saying something about something else removed from them. Hmm. But it feels like you're talking about them because we identify so much with the things that we love. We have no other choice than the things that build us, right? If I tell you right now, Charles Bukowski, the author, means everything to me, means everything. And you say, well, that was just a drunk who said a bunch of vulgar shit. You'd be right. And if it didn't <laughs> speak to you, that would be fine too. Right. But if it did speak to you, then we start talking on a whole different level. Right. Mm. If we're talking about Wu Tang Clan and I go, man, liquid swords, oh, everything means everything to me. And you're like, you know, the 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 first Method Man album, Takao, that's my thing. I'm like, mm. man, I love Takao, but it it's not as deep as Liquid no. Sword. No. Right. We're gonna have a different conversation. Mm. Yeah. And that's okay. And that's how we decide the people that we want to go one level deeper with. I have no problem sitting down at a bar with somebody and having the most mundane surface level conversation about the weather. Cause I can connect with anybody cause all human beings are fucking good. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, you're like a deviation of a, like a statistical rounding error about people that are bad. So everyone's good. I can sit down at a bar. I can talk with you about anything. I don't care if I disagree with your politics or whatever. I can talk to you. We're going to have a good time. But the next level is when you're like, man, what about that one album? And we talk about Black on Both Sides by Most Def, and we go, oh, now I can breathe. Yeah. Oh, let's talk about this one song. Let's talk about the first verse in this song and just dissect it. Well, we're, then we're on a different level. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. It's interesting what specific niches move, move you more than others. Like, yeah. Even just thinking of the way you're saying that, you're right. It's like a level of depth. I feel like the music has more depth. Beer is beer. Not to dismiss it, but I feel like music is a different thing. Like you said, like music speaks to your soul. Beer is a, it's an art and a science, but it's different. But it's almost like I'm not going to, it, it depends really what the conversation is. Like it, I feel like there might be a time where like someone was trying to, depends on the, like, we're having a really, you know, obviously there's a lot of respect here. And if you say you don't like that, I'm like, yeah, man, cool. I'm not going to be offended, but it depends on, you know, say you're talking to somebody else and you're like, someone says, call it Jay-Z's trash. What the fuck you mean Jay-Z's trash? And you start to go like, and, I, and it'd be like almost fun to have a shouting match. Like I wouldn't fight anybody over rap ever. But it'd be fun to have a bit of a shouting thing to be like, reason put that he's the greatest, you know, like, you know, like that type of shit. But I don't, but I'm almost like disappointed if you don't like good beer because it, to me, like, if you're going to Tim Hortons and you think the coffee's good, I'm like, oh man, like, it's to me, you're missing out on this beautiful other side of, of, of a taste bud you know, experience in your mouth. Like, and, and on top of that, the people behind it, cause I, you know, I t typically get to know the people like in Montreal, I knew the people who owned the cafes that I was at. And here in Hamilton, I know the people who own the cafes too. And I go to the places that I know the people who run the spot 
because that is important to me. And I'm like, I want people, if I see someone with a Tim Hortons cup, I want to be like, oh, fuck, man. Like, you know, the two doors down, there's this other amazing place that, you know, roast their own stuff and they're just here and they serve the community. It's a small business where that's a fucking multi-billion dollar multinational corporation, you know, stuff like that. So, and I feel like there's almost the same with beer. If someone's going drinking AB InBev stuff, when you could be drinking Barrel of Monk stuff, I'm just like, it it almost like hurts me more than if you say the Kanye West is whack. I'm like, yeah, well, you don't know shit. That's okay. But like, <laughs> if you don't like Kanye, that doesn't bother me. If you say he's whack, then that bothers me. Uh, Cause yeah. he's, subjectively objectively not in my opinion but i just feel like that's why with beer and say coffee is my other real passion when i see people doing that i'm just like oh you're just you don't know and you're missing out and we live once and i'm like why have garbage but then you put it beautifully before where you just like I, sometimes i just want a fucking wendy's burger and i'm like uh it's interesting because it's fucking with my head right now i probably need to soak this all up and be able to understand how to deal with the situations because that's really what it comes down to is some people just want wendy some people just want tim hortons and that's all it is to it i don't relate but i relate to the wendy's but i don't relate to the other things so i'm like it's fucking with me a little bit here but it's good listen man it's complex right we're we're not we're not simple creatures and i'll say one thing to you we're supposed to care yeah we're supposed to care about shit we're supposed to care about our friends we're supposed to care about the things that we're passionate about whether it be freaking car culture or beer or music whatever it is like these are the we build ourselves from cultural touchstones we make interconnected connectivity with other people based on the things that we love that's how we define ourselves as a human being so we're supposed to care and all these things can be wonderful when we're doing this in a respectful manner. All of them can be toxic when we're excluding people because they don't like the things that we like. It's the hardest thing in the world. I have a five-year-old son that I'm trying to teach this exact thing to. It's like that kid doesn't like the thing you like or doesn't do things exactly the way you do it, but that doesn't make him bad. That just makes him different. And you don't have to be his friend but you have to respect them as a human being. Those are hard lessons to teach to a 40-year-old because we have all these prejudices, all these notions that we've brought with us our entire lives. We've built up an edifice of what our lives look like. And they look very different when we're looking down on someone else saying, well, your thing isn't good. Mm. It's tough. It's really, really tough because when you tell me that you don't like Charles Bukowski or Penn Jillette or the Mountain Goats or KRS-One, you're saying, well, you have bad taste. You don't, ne you're not necessarily saying that. You're mm. saying, I don't understand it. It's not my thing. Yeah. That's how we need to take these things. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really great way to look at it. Or sometimes you just weren't exposed to it at the right time. Like I was saying before with like I'm not the biggest fan of Tribe. I don't dislike them. And I bought the once again single. And I think I even went back and bought Midnight Marauders in the 2000s. Cause I, but I did, I did not get into Tribe Called Quest at the time. And I missed yeah. the boat and I just didn't listen to it. So I don't have like, once again is my favorite song from them of all time. Um, and I think it's perfect, but 
I wasn't there, but I know they're a classic. So there's a difference between just like uh, dismissing it and just being like, oh man, I wasn't there. And the thing with music, it seems like, and you could argue with film because sometimes I didn't watch The Wire when it came out. We tried to watch The Wire, my girlfriend. with Yeah. Masterpiece. Right. But we didn't watch it. And then we, we tried to watch it within the last decade and it was letterbox. Like it wasn't 16 by nine. And it, we watched the first two seasons and the first season was great. It was like, okay, I can see where this is going. And then the second season, season was like and I know that wasn't a great season but it was just the experience I'm just like we weren't the Sopranos I never watched it missed it uh and I know I missed out on a cultural moment but you can only do so much and this was back then imagine now like if I'm saying you didn't watch Succession I'm like oh you you're missing out that shit is crazy but I don't judge because I feel like there's a difference now where you can't judge people for missing out on music films or books or any other cultural thing because of the sheer volume. There wasn't a volume like this 20 years ago or, or longer, you know? So it's like, you just can't possibly be up on everything. And hopefully I find that, you know, if you go in one genre, like, like rap, whatever, most of us, if you came up on it in the nineties, you might, you would have heard Snoop and Dre when they came out. You would have heard Nas, you would have heard Woo, you would have heard Mob Deep, Puff, Biggie, like whatever, all of that stuff all happening and you probably would have caught at least some of it. So there's some sort of cultural thing. And then as it just sort of expanded more and more out, there's just sort of like infinite amounts and you just got to pick what resonates with you. And then less and less are going to resonate with each other. Cause I feel like now more, have you seen this? No. Okay, cool. Have you seen that? No. no okay. Okay. And then with, we don't have any cultural touch points. Because they're all so spread out anymore. Whereas before, you've seen Sopranos? Yeah, I've seen that position. Seinfeld? Yeah, of course. You know what I mean? Like, it's, it's, a, it's a different world. There's more content. I mean, another thing that my dad said to me, and I'm maybe bastardizing this quote, but like he basically said that I'm going to die having never experienced all the art that I could possibly experience mm. because there's just too much, mm. right? There's too many things to experience. I right now could tell you that I could go back and watch the Twilight Zone original run with Rod Serling and get something out of every one of those episodes. It is a brilliant TV show. How many people are going to watch the Twilight Zone when you've got Better Call Saul and The Wire and Breaking Bad and The Good Place and a thousand other great TV shows going on right now, Abbott Elementary and everything else? We are literally standing on the shoulders of giants. Hmm. We have media, we have books, we can read Dostoevsky, we could get read Alexander Pushkin, we can read John Fonte, we can read these literary giants, but there's still more books being made. We don't have time. Mm. All we have is our exposure and the people around us that give us suggestions. And when you, and going back to what you said, when someone says to you and looks you in the eye and goes, Check this out. The idea that you have to like check that thing out and, and kind of you know, roll it around your brain for a few minutes, there is nothing more kind. There is nothing that says to that other person more, I see you, mm. than doing that. Couldn't that's, agree more. That's what it means to be a human being, my friend. Kevin, what a way to sum that up. 
I feel like we've done three hours. This was money. I feel like the first at least two and a bit were about beer and such. And this last part, it was rap and it was philosophy. <laughs> I feel like that's this is awesome. This was such an enriching convo, man. I appreciate you very, very much, dude. Man, listen, I, I I love this, and the fact of the matter we we've had a chance to engage in like the meat space, like the real world, yes, once before. But I, I consider you a friend. I love Likewise. having these conversations, and uh, yeah, I mean, I I I I'd pay for this. You said, you know, I'm doing counseling session to you. You're doing a counseling <laughs> session to me. Uh, I'd, I'd pay you to have this conversation. It's it, it was very therapeutic, man. It was it's, it's great. It's great to to you know kick it with someone like you know. I very much respect you. I very much respect entrepreneurialism. Anyone you know who's rolling the dice on themselves, you know, taking a bet on themselves, particularly two times with two different breweries simultaneously, which is is, is incredible. Um, I feel like uh, you you're really flying the flag, like we've said many times uh, tonight about you know Belgian beers specifically, and this is just all super quality, super approachable stuff. And um, I really hope people, at the very least, even if you're not if you're in Florida, go get Barrel of Monks, and if you're not in Florida, try and get Barrel of Monks, and if you can't get that try some Belgian beers and just try and fuck with your palate a little bit and, and try something different. Just like we we're talking about tonight. Like, you know, Kevin and I are recommending to you to try some mm -hmm. barrel monks and if not them, some Belgian beers and just to, you know, whether you've, it was something that you did a while ago and you haven't gone back to it like me or whether it was something that's new to you completely. It's, you know, there's so many things that like your father said, you know, there's so much art you wouldn't get to experience. Well, you know, try try and experience a little more art i think this is uh enriching and important and um why the fuck not really what 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 is there better than experiencing someone else's passion someone else's love and to take that onto yourself and then analyze it however you will mate i love it it's beautiful let's take the screenshot here so for the thumbnail and then we'll wrap this up and finish up off air Ooh, which one I want to hear. I definitely want to hold this grand crew. Let's go I'm this neon. neon skyline. Yeah, you do that one. You could hold it. Oh, you want to, you could hold a couple even if you like. That's true. You could do. I only got one hand. But I feel like <laughs> hey, here we go. There we go. All right, ready? Uh stunning. I love it. <laughs> um, Kev, where can everybody find Barrel of Monks online, my bro? I mean, barrelamongst.com. Just go into Barrel Amongst. There's nobody else with that uh, that decided to go down that road so that everyone calls them Barrel of Monkeys. So <laughs> if you search Barrel Amongst, you'll, you'll find us. I love it. Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. Follow Old Favorite Friday, please. Yes. It's, a, it's, a, it's a thing that we love to do. It's all talking about great classic beers, giving them love and attention that they do not get every single day, or maybe they do, but we don't feel that they get enough love and attention. Classic beers, Sierra Nevada Pale Ale, Blue Plank Toasted Lager, Old Rasputin. I mean, great, great beers that have always been great, will always be great. They just, they're just not the flavor of the week, so they're not what's on everyone's tongue. And we didn't talk about it, but you told me that from our last conversation on the podcast, that was what inspired the Old Favorite Friday, which is so fucking cool to me. It was a literal conversation that we were having and we were just spitballing kind of things. And I'm like, I think I have an idea. And that's what it came out of. 
I, I love that so much. When you told me, I was like, oh, sick. It felt full, super full circle to, to be a part of that and to, to, you know, I was in Florida, I was enjoying Highlight and it, it, it's made a lot of sense. So definitely check that out and check out the United We Drink podcast as well. Yes, um, I really enjoyed that conversation. I feel like you guys have great conversations like that and like we just had this evening. Uh, and if you're in Florida, head up to Boca Raton, beautiful Boca Raton, the cruisy drive on the I-95. Once you're off out of that craziness, it's a fucking breeze, mate. Plenty of parking, beautiful brew um phenomenal beers it's it's brilliant man so uh kev thank you again for such a great conversation i appreciate you the beers are phenomenal um let's keep doing this let's keep doing this regular let's not wait wait i think it was two years we did 2021 right whenever you want me back my friend i'll be here with you well, much be, love i appreciate you you're a legend stick around <laughs> let's wrap this up and we'll finish up off air but everybody thank you for watching and listening i hope you got as much out of it as the therapy that kevin and i got uh, if you enjoyed the episode smash the thumbs up hit subscribe below hit the notification bell so you know when the new episodes drop follow us everywhere at bos podcast and check out the long form audio we drop every wednesday we drop the audio in the morning, the video in the evening, just to space it out a little bit. And uh, follow us everywhere on, um, no, give us five stars is what I'm trying to say on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And also go on United We Drink, give them five stars. It helps us all a lot. Like we were saying, there's content out the ass, whether it's podcast, fucking YouTube, anything else. So those five-star ratings really do help us climb in the ratings and get fed to more people so more people can hear these type of conversations. Guys, thank you again. We'll see you in the next one. Cheers. Cheers.